Hello, listeners. You are listening to Costume Station Zero. Do not adjust your sets, but uh, this is another special cutaway episode with me, Bob Mitch, and my friend, good Kevin Kittredge. Thanks for having me again, Bob. Uh, we are going to be having another special cutaway episode discussing um, a further backward journey through Doctor Who, in this case, uh, completing our Matt Smith run of the Series 5 episodes from 2010. So, if you've enjoyed these episodes in the past, where we discuss uh, Series 6 through 8, uh, listen on. And if you want more costume talk, then please skip to the next episode, where we'll be having more of that shop talk. So, without further ado, here we go. Did, did we do 6 and 7? Separately, yes. We did the whole seasons? I don't even remember. We did six, we did seven, we did eight. I remember eight, for yes. sure. All right. All right. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll listen to them, see what I thought oh about the show. God. Greetings, listeners, and as I said, this is Bob Mitch. This is a very special episode of Costume Station Zero with Kevin Kittredge. Hey, thanks for having me. He says again. Um, so, we're going to dive right into Series 5, taking us back five years to 2010. Uh, the beginning of the Smith era. We're going to discuss an 11th hour all the way through A Christmas Carol to bring us up to date. So, um, yeah... Thoughts on Series 5 right out of the bat? Well, we start off... I mean, Series 5 is is not only a new Doctor, but it's a new showrunner. It's pretty much a whole new production team for the most part. Yeah. And I think you can definitely tell. Mm-hmm. You can tell by the by the feel, by the maybe the cinematography as well, mm-hmm. the coloring. Mm-hmm. More cinematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More cinematic. Uh, also, since... Uh, well, technically since the specials, but they have made the uh, leap to HD... Yes. So although it is already widescreen, it looks much, much better. It's uh, it's amazing to watch them on Blu-ray, definitely. So, yeah. So big kudos to the uh, production team for giving it a very glossy look. Um, you know, uh, I, I was looking at this because uh, for, for those of you who came in late, uh, I hosted a Doctor Who marathon of the entire run from an unearthly child through uh, last Christmas uh, in 2014. And I was looking at my own personal average ratings of stories and seasons and um, although I wouldn't say this off the top of my head, based on the average rating, I would rate Series 5 as my favorite series of new Doctor Who, which people might question when we really go through these, and I mention things I have issues with, but overall, believe it or not, I, I found this the most consistent season, which is strange, at least based on my ratings. Even though there are there are higher highs in other seasons, but there's also lower <laughs> lows to, to balance that out. Right. Yeah. So... Um, or do you do you feel this is Matt Smith's best season? I don't know because I mean I know that I know that I liked a lot of other stuff that he'd done other stories, but in terms of a consistent season, it's 
Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, I will say I think this is the closest Stephen Moffat comes to a solid story arc where things mostly make sense. It, things sort of pay off mostly correctly. And I mean, there's still some issues, but this is the season where I'm like, oh, okay. Or at least I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt going, all right, well, the silence will fall thing and who blew up the TARDIS. That'll get answered later. And technically it does, but not in the way we think. Um, but at least in terms of what this season is doing, uh, he does do a lot of, a lot better uh, at setups and payoffs for me in terms of things he does in the early episodes, which then pay off in the finale. But let's start at the beginning, uh, the 11th hour, um, which is a pretty strong opener for the 11th Doctor. And I think it's a fun opener. I think I, I think the the teaser, the opening is, you know, the TARDIS is crashing for some reason. The do- <laughs> for some reason, just before the Teth Doctor is about to regenerate, which is a horribly uh, confusing process, and who, who knows what's going to happen after I regenerate? He decides to set the TARDIS in motion, right? And he's going to fly the TARDIS, right? Uh, he leaves Earth, so when he regenerates and everything blows up, uh, we're crashing back to Earth, but yeah. and. Uh, is it a different time, or is yeah. it probably so? Basically, it, it, if yeah. you think of it from the end of time, it, it leaves Earth only to come back right to Earth, except instead of two thousand nine or two thousand ten, it is now uh, nineteen ninety six. Yes, yes, where he'll meet a young Amelia Pond. Uh, I, I just read that this whole opening with him crashing the TARDIS was a, a complete pickup, an add on they did later. Um, which I think helped a lot, at least in terms of kicking it up. And uh, it's nice to see the TARDIS crashing and a little bit more connectivity to the previous finale, in my opinion. And it's neat to see, yeah, connectivity and also in terms of the TARDIS itself. We see the TARDIS for the last time, the coral for the last time, um, more or less. More or less. In, in regular use. We'll in say. regular use, yes. So, um, yes, that's correct. So we... Uh, we I, and every time the TARDIS swings through and uh, Matt Smith is hanging outside the, uh, the the lip of the door there, and uh, he almost basically gets crotch clocked by the antenna. I can't help but think of Roger Moore from A View to a Kill, where the same thing happens to him when he's hanging from the blimp. And that, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just putting together the use of crotch clocked. That's really well done. <laughs> so I. I <laughs> mentally, when that happens to him and he narrowly avoids it, I, I want to hear that Roger Moore, oh, you always had, Roger Moore always had this certain uh, exclamation whenever something like that happened in the later Bond movies. I know, total aside. Anyway, so we uh, we get to the, the crash landing and uh, he meets Amy, a little Amelia Pond, and that, that seems a lot of fun. The door, the doors to the TARDIS open outwards, and I don't have any problem with that. <laughs> That's fine. The TARDIS can do that. <laughs> you know, we go... Uh, this is jumping ahead. Uh, remember TARDIS doors opening outward later when we do The Doctor's Wife. Okay. All right. Uh, except um, we already did The Doctor's <clears throat> Wife. God damn it. <laughs> All these seasons, they screw up for me. <laughs> It's, uh, but we did for some. Oh, you know what? There was a place. There's a place called the Fox and the Hounds in in Studio City, and they showed the Doctor's Wife recently. They do Doctor Who every month, and the TARDIS, in the form of that gal, tells the Doctor. It says right on the TARDIS, pull to open, but you push the doors in. You do it wrong, mm-hmm. and little nerd Kevin says, 
Um, the pull to open is just for the telephone portion of the door. Uh, the doors can properly be accessed. <laughs> Pushing properly. <laughs> pull to open. Uh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, and I was surprised that that was a line in the episode. It made me think, like, did, did Neil uh, Neil Gaiman is a very good writer, but it made me wonder, like, did he did and, he throw that in? And he loves Doctor Who, yeah. So, it's, so it seems strange he would miss that. So was that just a joke to say a joke? Was that just? I don't know. We can only speculate, but um, regardless, the TARDIS is crashed. The doors are opening outward. Fine. The Eleventh yeah. Doctor is is new. He's fresh. He's He's trying to figure things out. He's, you know... Uh, trying new foods. Uh, she says, you're funny. And he's like, oh, good. Funny's good. Mm-hmm. It's good to know that I'm funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he, uh, he's trying to put things together. And he finally settles on a, a fine meal of fish sticks and custard, which will forever... Taint fandom. Wow. Wow, you went to as, as harsh as taint. I was going to say <laughs> impact fandom. And, and I'm the <laughs> negative one of the two of us, but... <laughs> Of course, look, you know what? I'm not even sure if I'm the negative one of the two of us anymore. <laughs> look, but, um, I uh, I served fish sticks and custard at the marathon. It, it's a fine treat, although it's um, I, I don't think custard really adds anything to fish sticks. I think it's just it's like chicken and waffles. You know, it, it does work, but I don't think it needs to go together. I I mean, listen, as a vegetarian, I've never had chicken and waffles, but I do know that people love chicken and waffles, <laughs> and you're kind of pissing them off too. Uh, interesting note. I do remember. I don't know if you read up on this just recently, Bob, but uh, it was uh, Matt Smith was not actually eating fish sticks. It was something else. Something else in in the guise of fish sticks and custard. Hmm. Interesting. The custard was probably custard. <laughs> it was probably probably. Uh, but so he so he settles, and this poor little gal mm-hmm. who he crash landed in her backyard, and he's throwing food all over the place, and. Mm-hmm. And she's pretty, uh, she's taking it all in stride. Mm. And then it hits him, you know, she's concerned about this wall, this crack in the wall. And he says, and I've always liked the idea that uh, that must be a hell of a crack in your wall. Because I'm doing all this stuff and you don't care, but you're freaked out about this crack in your wall. So you should check that out. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, the the idea is really nice. I like the idea that, I mean, it's, it is a perfect... Um, <laughs> way to, to uh, get the, the children of the audience in, you know, because it's the mundane made scary. It's this crack in the wall that's a very scary crack because the crack could be there whether the wall was there or not. A very nice idea. Uh, and I, I even like the little motion yet he does with the glass of water. Like, he doesn't know what it is and he tosses it out and then he uses the glass to, to listen through. I don't think... I, I saw it differently. I saw it as he wanted that glass to hear what was on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm. He saw water was in it, and he was just like, well, I don't need this, and just tossed That's it. That's true, but his reaction to it was very strange. It was very, uh, it, was a, it, it wasn't just, oh, there's, like, I don't care, toss. It really was kind of a, what is this? Oh, uh, and he's almost rattling it next to his head for a second, and then he tosses it. Okay, maybe you're right. It's, a, it's, it's just an odd move. I like the, the movement. It was nice. So he uh, uses the psychic paper, and we figure out that... Uh, something escaped through the crack. Uh, Wait, the psychic paper? He uses the psychic paper, remember? On what? Uh, it, it says uh, that Prisoner Zero had escaped. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, so he finds that out. We see the giant eyeball. Um, oh, and he importantly takes the apple from young Amy. Yes. Because uh, her aunt used to draw, or was it her yeah, mom? Yeah, put, puts little... Uh, her aunt. Aunt puts uh, little smiley, faces. smiley faces on, yeah. 
And, and I thought that was a neat little callback later. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm just confused about the crack itself because, okay, that's it's cracking her wall. Even if the wall wasn't there, the crack would be there. I'm fine with that. So why is it other places? How do these cracks in walls, this crack in the wall, how does it travel? Why does it travel? Uh, yeah, I like the idea that it was just, uh, uh, as it's implied originally, it was a, a natural phenomenon or something that the, this prisoner used to kind of escape um, uh, from, we presume, another point in space. Because these aliens were able to travel to Earth to track down Prisoner Zero. Because at first I thought it might be to like another dimension or something, but it must just be like to another point in space. Fine. Um, th- what makes it very strange, though, is later when we see the other cracks, it doesn't travel. These are technically multiple cracks in the universe that have happened from the TARDIS exploding um, from a certain point. Obviously, what is it? The date, the uh, the the June date from two thousand ten. Right, the wedding date. The wedding date. So uh, it's the TARDIS sort of added, like like the finale of Star Trek: The Next Generation, where they see that time anomaly and it turns out it's working its way backwards through time, not forwards through time. It's kind of like that. Oh yeah, but, but all the cracks. So the TARDIS explodes, and there are cracks all across the universe that are exactly the same. Yeah. Okay, sure. Um, it's just a visual to help the audience. Well. <laughs> Okay, because if we saw, if we saw a if slightly we saw, different crack, ooh. we would think that maybe it had nothing to do with this other crack. In the, <laughs> in the, in the uh, I, I find it weird that, uh, yeah, that the uh, the the cracks after this point are mysterious or can suck things in and erase them from history and are very, yeah, they're, they're much more um, evil. And in this case, it's just kind of ominous and like a portal for Prisoner Zero and a way for these aliens to know, oh, well, we better go to, to planet Earth and, and pick this guy up. It's slightly different in, in the 11th hour. I feel like he wrote the 11th hour and then later worked out how this is going to backward work into the whole season. It's a little off. But taking it on its own, it's cool. Um, so then, um, yeah, I don't know how much blow by blow we should really be doing in these episodes. But basically... Um, we uh, we get to the part where he has to he has to uh, go back to the TARDIS, and he's going to come back for Amy. Remember? Yep. And he gets the mark wrong by twelve years, so we've jumped from nineteen ninety six to two thousand eight. And I think that's great. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's fun. I think you know you got the year. Uh, I said I'd be back in five minutes. Where's Where's Amelia? And it's like yeah, I'm Amelia. I'm Amy, and uh, you totally screwed me over. Mm-hmm. And I had to go to therapy. Yeah, because I clearly had an imaginary friend mm-hmm. that wasn't real. Mm-hmm. I think that's fun. It is fun. Um, <laughs> Sadly, fun. Uh, it uh, it is a retread <laughs> of what he did in uh, Girl in the Fireplace with Madame de Pompadour. Yeah, at least Amy wasn't dead. Uh, yeah, that's true. Not the ending, but the part where he meets her as a girl and has all that influence on her and so forth. Um, so clearly something Moffat likes to do because he has the Doctor meet a lot of characters as children. Um, I think I think the number's up to six or seven characters by now. But anyway, um, but it works in this case. Um, and we uh, we have her as a kissogram, the famous kissogram outfit that has been cosplayed many a times. And, um, uh, you know, we're sure that she's straight up a stripper. I've decided <laughs> she's a stripper, but they can't say stripper right. for, on a kid's show. Mm-hmm. Uh 
But um, yeah, I mean, there there was some very good tension there where the perception filter, the door, she gets the Sonic that went missing, and he's been handcuffed, and he's trying to bluff the creature, and then she reveals, oh, there's no backup. Um, and there was it was fun. No one knows we're here, so that's good for you, alien, because that means this and this and this. All right, we have it surrounded. Okay. They all know we're here, and that's good for you, alien, because of this and this and this. That's great. It's just like totally BSing to, to fit whatever uh, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is the swan song for the classic, or classic, the new, the RTD era Sonic screwdriver. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it, uh, it gets blowed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a much better fashion than the visitation, actually. But... Um, yeah, the creature was. I mean, it's it's definitely cool. It's it's very interesting. I like the design. I like the idea that it can pretend to be two people, a dog and a guy, um, and then we have uh, or a woman and two kids. The right. woman played by Olivia Coleman mm-hmm. from one of my favorite shows of all time, Peep Show, mm-hmm. as well as Broadchurch and mm-hmm. um, back to Doctor Who. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I I do think this is a, it's a it's a very pacey, breezy opener uh, for the Eleventh Doctor. Uh, he proves to save the day without a Sonic, because it blows up, and without the TARDIS, because it's uh, repairing itself. So it locks him out for most of the story, once he's in 2008. Uh, Watching this again reminds me of how little I thought of Rory at the time. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that we would come back and see Rory ever again. This is true. Yeah. He had a week opening, much like Mickey did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, it takes a long time for him to pick up. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, look at the way she even introduces him. Like, oh, yeah, I'm his boyfriend. Oh, yeah, kind of, you know. It, it, I mean, they're probably dating at this point. Who knows for how long? But I mean... Well, they're in... They're not engaged yet. There's okay, a two-year gap. That's right. I know, that's we caught right. that. That's right. Yeah, if that had been the case, talk about really, really, really not good. But um, yeah, uh, they... Uh, they introduce Rory kind of weekly, but you know he is the guy who starts to figure things out, and he's showing the doctor the you know his camera phone, and he's he's spotted that he he sees the coma guy outside, but it's really the alien, and all that. They stuff. do that really interesting stop motion type camera trick when the doctor figures things out. Yeah, and it's something that I don't think we'd seen before, and I don't think we've seen it since. It was just one interesting remembering what happened and remembering yeah. what the doctor saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a cool visual trick, but I'm I'm kind of glad it wasn't done all the time. I think I am too, and I think I thought I think I thought that that was going to be the case. Mm-hmm. I was under the impression that okay, the doctor does this. Yeah, uh, kind of along the lines of Geronimo, mm-hmm. which luckily wasn't said as often as we thought it was going to be said. It, it was said, but you know, it wasn't said as much as, in my opinion, like uh, the whole fish custard thing or Jamie Dodgers. I feel like that came up more than Geronimo. Yeah, I was I was surprised. I was delighted at the lack of Geronimo throughout the season. Uh, but yeah, no, it was uh, it, it's well handled. I, I, of course, he gets his new clothes from the hospital, much like John Pertwee and Paul McGann. Um, and I do like the we we beat the alien. The other aliens who were coming to get this alien, uh, who were going to destroy Earth. Uh, they leave, but the doctor brings them back, and he's, it's almost kind of a, a, little, uh, a little slap. Mm-hmm. Come back here. No, double-check this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're on Earth. I'm the doctor. Do you think this is a good idea? Yeah, get, get out of here. But don't you think that Stephen Moffat's really into the Dr. Grandstanding a lot? Yes, which was supposedly going to leave. 
uh, later, but we're not, well, we're not there yet. We already covered that later. Boy, that's weird. This is strange that we went backwards. But yes, um, I know what you're saying, but uh, I actually like it when the Doctor is not so, look how badass I am. I agree, but mm-hmm. that is a way to make sure this alien doesn't come back. And that's kind of the bottom line. I, I get that. But it's just not something I'm used to in the Doctor's MO. It's like uh, the, the whole thing where in the, the Vasha Narada, you're in a library, look me up. And, you know, uh, okay, you're all here to invade. Well, one of you does the smart thing and let the other one try first. You know, this this kind of, haha, this bravado. Okay, in a way, it, it, in that case, it's more of a bluff. But in the first case, he really is just try, saying, look, you know, I'm the Doctor, so back off. And, um... It's a bit of um, bravado I'm not used to seeing. Well, I do. I agree in terms of that bravado. And I'm. I just have to say that A, it worked in every case. And B, it, it should work. The aliens should go, oh no, it's, it's the doctor. How about we scatter? Yeah, but it's more interesting when the villains think that they can beat him. Yes. <laughs> I'm just saying from the doctor's perspective, yeah, he, well, did, he did the right thing. And, he, okay. and you know, that, that, that alien is not going to come try to mess right. with Earth anymore. They, they've done it a few times. I, I, just, I was just hoping it doesn't become a regular thing, which uh, it, it gets done again, but not on a weekly basis. Yeah, uh, the doctor is sort of like space god. I'm not, I'm not as into that. But um, I will say this. What I liked about that sequence is, hey, it was the first time in the series, except for, I think, the next doctor, where we got to see all the older doctors. Yes, and he and they kind of echo the the face thing where he steps through and he says, "I'm the doctor." Da da da. Right when he has his new bow tie and tweed jacket on and all that, so it's a nice intro for him. And I'll tell you what, if he really wanted to scare these aliens, mm. uh, and it might have you know might have hurt his ego a bit, but he could have said, "By the way, I was the war doctor and I killed everybody I know." Uh, except we both know the, the War Doctor didn't exist in any form at this point. No, he was before. He's the eight and a half Doctor. Of course he did. You know what I'm talking about. Get out of here. Um, but yeah, he could have mentioned the whole Time War thing. Um, but no, it's you know it, it, it's a little cheesy in places like the bit where he, he convinces the scientists, hey, da da da, here's this theory and theorem and, and a joke. And I'm like, yeah, that'll help. <laughs> Sending them a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you didn't see the joke, Bob. Well, it could no. have been really funny. <laughs> like the deadly, May- the deadly Joker money Python. Exactly where I was going. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But uh, I did like the reaction everyone was giving him. Like, this is your imaginary friend. And she was always saying, like, shut up. So that was cute. Um, no, it's it's generally a very breezy, enjoyable episode. Um, technically speaking, the plot is a rehash from Smith & Jones um, with a... Uh, uh, an alien on the loose and a police force that doesn't care about anybody else and has frozen over everything to yeah. get at this prisoner. That's a good point. Regardless, and the doctor has to solve it before basically all the collateral damage happens. Um, I know this is something for the fangirls, but I really enjoyed Rory saying, you made me dress up as him. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, and kind of wrong in so many ways. Uh, what did you think of Amy checking out the doctor as he changed clothes? Oh, God. Yeah, it's it's a little weird. Yeah, but set, sets up things for episode five. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it, it's cool. I um, I do genuinely think it was a very strong. It was very, as I say, very well paced, well directed, 
uh, all my little issues with it for the most part are kind of niggles at this point. It was generally very enjoyable. It's got a few of those moments I said it a little jokey for me, but that's Stephen Moffat. Uh, so I would rate this episode an eight. I hate rating things with numbers, but I will agree with your eight. Thank you, Kevin. So, moving on, the beast below. Uh, I was I was really bored with the beast below. <laughs> Some people seem to really hate this one, um, and and we get the space whale, which of course I I know famously about from a, a an unproduced Doctor Who story in the eighties. Um, so I, th- I wondered if that was their way of saying, let's finally do the space whale story. Um, I remember Matt Smith doing an interview and he's being like, oh, wait till you see the smilers. And I, I was thinking to myself, wow, I can't wait to see those smilers. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the smilers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was dumb. <laughs> they, they look creepy, but I admit they're, they're a bit, well, especially because they can turn and it's not just two faces. They have like a third face. So I'm like, how does that work? That is, you know, it's yeah. the future. Maybe they... Maybe they're working on the other back of the head while you're seeing the front. Who knows? Yeah, all right. And then uh, they can conveniently come out of their booths to terrorize you when they need to. And do they physically interact? Like, when they chase you, do they pick you up? Can I? You know, they don't really show what they do when they catch you. I presume they either just straight up kill you or they take you to some part of the ship where you get fed to the whale. I feel like I could knock one of those guys down. Yeah, I know. They're, they they look creepy, but they don't. They needed to show them actually do what they do rather than just look creepy. Moffat loves writing in guys that look creepy, but don't you don't really see what they do beyond they kind of stalk at you slowly and seem menacing. I'm thinking of the dudes from Rings of Akaton or the Whisper Men from Name of the Doctor. They just kind of show up. They're there. They go away. <laughs> <laughs> that I mean, yes. <laughs> um... But um, I did like the, uh, uh, well, there was a connecting scene, if you remember, between the two on the DVD. That's nice. Axel's a nice bridge and how she ends up floating outside the TARDIS. Yes. Hair we're, we're back to magic of force fields outside the TARDIS that keep everything up, but I guess just the right amount of wind to have hair blowing. <laughs> in space. In space. But uh, whatever. We're, we're in fairy tale land, right? So, um, yeah, it, it's okay. I call this episode okay. I mean, I like the idea. I'm all for a, a ship in space. I'm all for the doctor investigating things and being weird with glasses of water That's tri- that he notices because there's no vibration of the ship and he knows there's no uh, engine. But I have to think, you know, okay, there's no engine, right? But you have a space whale basically swimming through space. Wouldn't this create maybe not a vibration but kind of a rocking effect on the ship? I guess it depends on how it's "quote unquote" swimming okay. through space. All right. I think it's just kind of floating. It with like it was with direction. In the final shot. Is it swimming in the final shot? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe it was just floating, and it just does a very 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 slight fin twaddle at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, but I'm okay with that start. I'm, I'm I'm down with him investigating stuff. The weirdness of Liz Ten and her mask, and she's got the glasses of water too, which I thought. Why? Okay. I forgot what the water is for. What was the water for? Uh, the water is uh, the way that they were guessing something is wrong because the water stays still. There's no vibration. So that's their first clue that there's no engine. And then he goes and finds the um, the conduits and they're not connected to anything. So he's discovering that. Then Amy goes and they can't ignore a crying child. So she follows the kid and goes into the tent and she finds the giant tentacle scorpion bit that tries to kill her. Yeah. And that's 
definitely one problem I have with this because I thought, wait a minute, it's a space whale, yet it's got weird scorpion tentacle things that come up at weird spots and just randomly want to kill you unless you're a child. Oh, parasites. So, parasites. It could be a parasite. All right, I found that lazy, but... It was just we need another menace before we reveal the, uh, the the whale. That yeah, the whale's got these weird little. I mean, I'm not things. saying that it's wonderfully creative. It's just I, All right. I, I could sell that. I could believe that as okay. a, as a it, parasite. It, it, see, this goes up into my list of lame monster things, like the husks from Ghostlight. Like it's a husk I shed that looks like an insect, and it's still animated, and it'll still chase you. It's like really okay. Thanks, JNT. Um, but all right, back to series five. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I do like the um, the memory thing where they they reveal the the big truth and then they have to vote to you know uh, vote against or vote for. That's it. right. Yeah, I, I did like the memory thing too, where you have the ch- you you are they're told exactly what happens mm-hmm. and it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, please forget this. Yep. And then the doctor's pissed because she voted to forget because she couldn't deal. Uh, and that's why he was almost going to drop her back off, like Adam in the long game. Uh, I guess I get that. He got a little self-righteous there at the end where I'm going like, okay, dude, I understand that what they're doing isn't right, but they really are in a tough spot. You know what I mean? Right. And what was he going to do? He was going to lobotomize the whale? I don't remember. That was that was his solution. He was going to lobotomize the whale so at least it wouldn't feel any pain. So that way he's not going to kill the whale, but he's not going to kill the people either because they were afraid if they shut it down, the whale would buck them off, I guess. I didn't like Amy taking it upon herself to make the decision at the end and hit that button because, I don't know, mom wouldn't do that. That's like That's pretty much her logic, right? Um, I'm going to make this definite decision because I don't think a mom would do that. Yeah, and it was a way to, quote, redeem her for the doctor so he would keep her on board because she makes the choice that ultimately proved to be the right one. But that was a hell of a guess because I got to tell you, no matter how well-intentioned that whale was when it saved them, and talk about a weird thing where it's like, it came out of the sky and it saved us. And I thought, I'll go with this because, again, we're in fairy tale uh, Doctor Who right now. But how did they rope a space whale in the atmosphere and get it to stay put long enough to build a city ship on it and then take off again? That seems like it would have taken a long time and been really complicated, but okay, never mind. Don't think about it. Don't think about All it. Right. <laughs> um, it's in, it's in space, and uh, and it, it so it's been tortured to take them wherever they're going. And I'm sitting here going like, "All right, I don't care how well intentioned it is. If you've been torturing this this poor whale for this long, um, it's probably going to be pretty pissed off and want to." you know, shake you off regardless. I would think. But apparently, no, it's cool. It's totally fine. It, it's like, oh, thanks for stopping the pain. Right now, we, now we, can, we can keep going where we're going. Um, That's what I usually do when somebody's <laughs> beating the holy hell out of me in the in the alley, and then they stop. I'm like, hey, thanks for stopping. Let's go get a beer. Do you need 20 bucks? <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah. The ending doesn't make. I mean, I understand it's supposed to be. Oh, it wants to protect the children and and so forth. But yeah, that was uh, that was a little rushed. Um, I, uh, I I did like the reveal that Liz Ten had been through this. Like, what was it, like ten times that that her she was she was much older than she seemed, and they figured it out from the mask. And she'd always been choosing to forget. Uh, very total recall right there. So I dug that. 
Um, I don't know. It was okay. It's like, it's got elements of stuff I like, but yeah, a lot of the stuff with the whale didn't jive with me. And you're right, the how Amy knew that was the right way to go and the the doctor being very I, I don't know it, it's not something I can love but it's deep. it's like what I call middle of the road Doctor Who so I give it a six uh, I would give it a five mm-hmm. especially because we came off of a decent opener and yeah. then we saw this and I was like oh so that's how the regular episodes are gonna be like right right oh and we get the doctor being vomited out of the mouth of the whale yeah I know. Yeah, it's very, yeah. That's right. And I still was trying to figure out how that worked, too, because I'm like, they actually show it, they're in the mouth of the whale. And I'm like, so I'm hoping to God the whale keeps its mouth closed fully and it's not just teeth, otherwise they should be sucked out into space. I mean, it's... Yeah, I know. You fairy, fairy tale. Fairy tale, Doctor Who. Don't think about indeed. it. Okay. And where did it... Vo- I mean, normally if it would vomit, it would... Vomit. So how did it... They claim it was some sort of valve or something. That also didn't make sense. Like, why wouldn't it... If you're going to be, you know, because it's in space, it, its mouth isn't connected to a part of the ship, right? It didn't appear that way at the end. No, I'm asking too much. Never mind. Okay, so... Um, victory of the Daleks. Victory of the Daleks. Ah, a classic if I ever saw one. There were some things that I didn't have a problem with, and there were some pro- things that I did have a problem with. Uh, I liked... Oh... Man, there's more that I hated, though. More that I hated than I liked. <laughs> First of all, we got uh, Winston Churchill, yes. who clearly has a relationship with the Doctor. They've worked together before. Yeah. And I'm sorry, when you know who the Doctor is, or mm-hmm. at least what he's capable of, or, mm-hmm. or you know that he's very important and very, very smart, mm-hmm. and when the Doctor says, these are Daleks, they're messing with you, they are bad, 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 we need to get rid of them, you don't go, <laughs> Doctor, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I like the idea of World War II, of uh, Daleks suddenly being there, and they're suddenly supposedly invented by some dude. Um, I like the twist on the uh, power of the Daleks thing. Or, I'm sorry, evil of the Daleks. Would you care for some tea? Uh, I, I am your soldier instead of I am your servant. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm totally mixing the two up. That was Power of the Daleks. Yeah, sorry. Power. Sorry for the foo nerds. It wasn't, was Power of the Daleks. Wasn't Evil of the Daleks? Would you care for some tea? Yeah, well, da- yeah, that one was when they were... But they were they were already kind of running the show in the 1800s. Did they say, would you care for some tea in Evil of the Daleks? I, I don't remember that. Maybe. You can look it up. He's going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. I just saw this recon like six months ago. I should know this, but... Um, I'm. You know what? If they do do it, it, it would probably be in Power, because that's when they're pretending to be all nice... And stuff, and they say the the famous line, "I am your soldier servant." But anyways, I like that callback. That was nice. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And um, it's a good mystery. So, like the first like ten minutes, I'm mostly on board with. It's just once we get to the whole, uh, you know, they need to be confirmed as Daleks by the Doctor. They go back to their ship, and then we see the introduction of the Skittle Daleks. Um, <laughs> the Skittle Daleks, or, or the the Rainbow Daleks, the Eye Daleks, the Merchant Daleks. Mm, there you go. We need more toys. Yeah. What can we do for more toys? I don't know. We could different color Daleks. Boom! <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Package it, sell it, go. Yeah. Um. That's where the episode starts to fall off a major cliff. Um. 
Especially when they come out and they just destroy the art. Clearly, the intent was to replace the old Daleks, period. But obviously, they didn't stick to that because they... Because I huffed and puffed and cried in my pillow. <laughs> and so they said, fine, Kevin. It's just temporary. <laughs> we'll bring him out once in a while in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time we hit Asylum, they, uh, they've retired the... More or less retired the the eye dog. Actually, in the, the latest episode, Magician's Apprentice, we don't see them at all that I recall. I think you're right. That's right. So yeah. So in, in this case, the fans won. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, so we see the new Daleks, and um, you know, I get it, it. It is a bit. I mean, I understand it. They're they're saying that they've been so corrupted with uh, other DNA that they've used uh, that they're not true Daleks, and so they need the testimony of the doctor. Which I'm like, well, I guess I'll go with that. To me, that's a little shaky. But oh, right. yeah. This is all very weak. So we get that. They destroy the Daleks. Doctor comes in. He bluffs them with the jammy Dodger, which I like. That's very Doctor. You know, mm-hmm. you can do that. And uh, <laughs> and then, <laughs> with almost no setup, with the thinnest of setups, we have the bombers in space. Yeah, and you know what? That's something that I want to be able to get behind. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to picture the the air corridor being uh, no, created. The force fields around. Or the force fields, yeah. yeah. But I can't. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're technically there. You kind of see it. But yeah. They, and I, I think the thing about Doctor Who, as much as the Doctor is from a different planet, mm-hmm. and the Doctor really shouldn't have any allegiance to any particular part of Earth. Mm-hmm. The Doctor Who is very British, and especially the people making it are a big fan of the United Kingdom, and they want to see those old British ships flying in space so bad that it doesn't matter how they do it. I guess so. I mean, you know when they cooked this one up, it must have been, oh, yeah, we can have fighters in space. And I'm sure they just thought it was so cool, it's just got to go in there. Yes. And they didn't care how they got it in there. It was Gatiss, right? It was Gatiss, yeah. So I, I can see how it that one simply by visual cool factor as opposed to story logic factor. Um, I mean, forget about the fact we never see the bombers before that. The force fields vaguely mentioned by Bracewell, I think for one line before that, as he's describing the Daleks. And... I'm fine not seeing the bombers before that. We know that they're well, in the middle of a war. I, you know what they're, I'm saying? Like, the idea there. that they would have tested them, the idea these pilots would even know how to fly these things in a force field in space when they would have had no training for any of that. It's There's that part of me going like, ah, this doesn't work, but I okay, I guess it's we're back to it's fairy tale. It doesn't make sense, but let's just move on. Um, but my that, big thing... I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, it, My big thing is at the end. So I know, we're getting there. So, yeah, the... They, they do the showdown, the Daleks then, um, you know, uh, they do their bit where they're shutting down the power, or I'm sorry, they're shutting on the power so that they'll get Bond and, and all that stuff. And then, yeah, they finally, in their big move, they, uh, turns out Bracewell is... Uh, How do they find out that Bracewell has a bomb? Um, well, he, they, well, they tell him, they tell the doctor, you better call off your attack, because um, we've got Bracewell set to blow. Okay. So it's you. You can either go and try and stop Bracewell, or you can catch us. So that's how it, how he lets him go. Goes back, sees that Bracewell's a bomb, and he tries to deprogram him, and it doesn't work. And then uh, it turns out that uh, the the robot's got feelings, and Amy can sweet talk him with memories of a girl that he liked that we assume is a is a false memory. I can't believe that this guy was on Earth for you know forty fifty odd years hanging around. Um, I'm pretty sure he was planted by the Daleks. 
So that was all weird. So he's he's thinking of a girl he met that I I assume isn't even real, and it makes him calm and t- power down from the power of love. Power of love saves the day. Love saves the day. Love saves the day. And uh, and yeah, no, that was the weakest part of the whole episode. Uh, I I completely didn't. Oh, and then to make matters worse, after they because he had the power of like a black hole in him or something, it was supposed to wipe out the planet. So then, remember afterwards, uh, they're just gonna let him go to go find that girl. And I thought that's not gonna work. He's a robot. And the girl, by the way, wasn't real. And the girl probably wasn't real. Even if she is real, she's probably. I mean, why would she want to date a robot? He's a robot, and he's got the power of black hole. So God forbid, you know, he ends up in a car wreck or something, and. You know, <laughs> <laughs> boom! It's, that's so, when that's when you take them out and you tell them about uh, you tell them about the farm and you tell them about the rabbits. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tell us about your girlfriend again. She was cute, wasn't she? Yeah, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Actually, what they should have had is when he shut down, it shut him down totally. Like that's really what it should have been, not this whole. Oh, okay, I'll go away. Yeah, that was that. That kills the episode. It was already on shaky ground before that, but it kills it for me. So yeah, purely because of the uh, illogic of what goes on with Bracewell the robot. Yeah, and of course the whole idea was that the Daleks succeeded in being reborn. They're now more powerful than ever, and they got to escape. Hence, victory of the Daleks. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I give it a two. I also give it a two. Nice. I want to give it a. I wanted to give it a three, and then I just remembered the, the ships and the airplanes in space. Yep. And combined with my least favorite, love saves the day. Yeah, God, love saves the day. Not a lot I can do about it. Yeah. But. And, gosh, and Amy. Amy knows that the doctor is friggin' smarter than anything she's ever met, and she's even trying to tell the doctor, no, 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 look at these Daleks, they're great. Oh, right, yeah. She's not listening. Everybody's telling the doctor how stupid he is. And she doesn't remember them from Doomsday because the cracks have already begun to rewrite history. Uh, Yeah, talk about rewriting history. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That becomes a plot point. Like, how do you not remember the dollars? I don't know. And then he's like, oh, and he figures out the cracks are rewriting history. And that we kind of kind of throw on RTD. Well, not the crack part, but the, what, the Doomsday? What do you mean? Well, yeah, I mean... The whole Daleks invading Earth today, yeah, and we're all going to forget about it. We have to forget about it later. Well, yeah, but the forget about it part was really introduced here. That I don't think it was really brought up before. But the the kind of that is like you have to have them forget when you have something set current day, yeah, and cancer is cured, yeah, and you write. Well, maybe that's a poor example. But anytime there's a huge momentous thing, yeah. that has to be impacted. I mean, if we if we found out today that there were aliens, yeah. the world would change drastically. Sure. Forever. Sure. You couldn't do your standard plot where people go, aliens, get out of here. Yes. Yeah. People yes. would be a little wiser on this stuff. Yeah. So I know what you're saying. Um, doesn't help the episode. Anyways. Moving on to uh, a better episode um, that I, I really liked when it aired, and in subsequent viewings, it's kind of gone down for me. Uh, the two-parter Time of Angels in Flesh and Stone, where Moffat is back to being creepy Moffat. Um, yeah. And the return of the Weeping Angels from Blink. You know, we uh, I remember watching the trailer for this, mm-hmm. and in the trailer, they use the part where the doctor is holding a gun, and he says, mm-hmm. there's the one thing you don't put in a corner. Me. 
and the doctor shoots. Yeah. And we just see the doctor and the gun. We don't see where he's shooting. Yeah. And I remember everybody online going, the doctor doesn't use guns, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you don't know what he's doing. Yeah. How are you judging yeah. without knowing what's going on? Yeah. And then clearly he, he was not shooting a person or a thing even. No. No. On occasion he has used uh, ray guns and stuff to, to do things. And he's, a cyber gun. And a cyber gun. Yep. He's not against using them when he has to. He just doesn't use them as a matter of course. Um, yeah, and another thing about, and this covers the classic series too, probably even more so. Where the doctor is like, no, 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 I don't like guns. I don't like people shooting stuff. Uh, now, can we figure out this other way to kill the aliens? <laughs> but not guns. They're terrible. <laughs> How do we kill the aliens? <laughs> oh, it turns out they're vulnerable to water. Oh, it turns out they're vulnerable to this sonic beam emitter thing I'm going to cook up. <laughs> <laughs> We'll just use that on them. All right. Yeah, that's that's the Doctor Who way. But we get two big Moffat creations back in 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 a big two-parter episode. We get River Song returning, and we get the Weeping Angels. Yes. And the Weeping Angels that we see now are much stronger than the weak, decrepit angels that we saw in Blink. Uh, those were very weak, uh, right? Supposedly. That was the story. Yeah. And now, since these guys are more powerful, uh, the rules are different. Yeah, and in my opinion, not as effective as the the wonderful elegance of Blink was kind of a kind of disturbed here. I hate any image of an angel becomes an angel. Mm-hmm. I just hate it. It's just stupid because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's all it takes for some, me to hate something. Oh, and and apparently, if you if you look at it in the eyes. It will start to live in your eye and create the idea you will become stone, your arm will become stone, and then it will start to take you over from the inside unless you close your eyes and deprive it of light and stay that way for God knows how long. And had he not sucked the angels away into the giant crack, God knows how else he would have saved Amy Pond at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. But he was trying to cook up different ways to make things kind of, uh, you know, different and scary than usual. Um... Uh, I know in the opening, by the way, it was great to see Simon Dutton uh, return uh, for for, uh, Spy fans. He played the Saint in the 1989 Saint movies. I know it takes diehards to care, but if you do, FYI. Um, So what what was he in this show? uh, He was the head guy who was trying to track down River Song at the uh, beginning. He was the guy in the tux and the two soldiers behind him. Okay. And he was confronting her. And he was like, ah, wait till she turns and runs and we can try and save. We shot her trying to escape. That was him. Okay. I don't think he shows up again. Yeah, that's right, because he dies in the crash once it crashes. So, anyways, uh, yeah, it wasn't until we recently rewatched these, and I must have seen this pair of episodes, I don't know, four or five times, and this is the first time I caught that there was an air corridor between the TARDIS and River when she escapes. I caught it right away. I was listening. Um, yeah, well, I just saw her floating through space going, that's dumb. Ah, I was listening to River say, I'm going uh, to need an air corridor. Yeah, so at least it sort of makes sense. But we're back to people magically floating through space and being okay. So we're going we're gonna to hit uh, a major divide between you and I, Bob. Okay, all right. And, and uh, between me and more people that I'd, I would have thought. I like River Song. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't know why there's so much dislike for River Song. She's smart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? She likes to have sex with the doctor. 
that's fine. I don't I don't know why that's a problem. Wow. Why is that a why is it a problem for somebody to want to to enjoy with the doctor? I mean, I'm not blaming her. And I'm not saying that as if I can't wait to bone the doctor myself. That's not what that means. <laughs> I don't blame River for wanting to have sex with Matt Smith. Look at the man. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that why can't she? Why can't she, why can't she be attracted to the doctor? Oh man, I I just I just don't want that anywhere near my Doctor Who. But that's me. It's not like. Yeah, but I think it's not only that, it's the fact that she's so in his face flirty about it in that very Stephen Moffat coupling kind of way. I think maybe the reason I don't have a problem with it is that she's very in your face flirting in a Kevin Kittredge sort of way. Oh, is that it? I think uh, I think maybe I'm pretty direct Except for the most part. Except that clearly by, as we get further in, the doctor starts to reciprocate. You know, there's definitely, you know, the fact that toward the end, I mean, we're getting beyond series five where he's checking himself in the mirror before he meets her and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It makes me just kind of go, ah, that's great. I assure you that I am not a hypocrite in this respect because we had a conversation mm-hmm. with Matthew Jacobs, the yes. writer of the TV movie. Yes, we did. Where we both uh, let him know that we were not happy with him introducing kissing. sex and, yeah. and kissing into the doctor. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I think that River Song is... A grown-up, and not that Grace was super young. I guess Grace w- was was a, l- a little bit more age-appropriate than, say, Perry would have been, or mm-hmm. or Amy mm-hmm. is. I just there's just something about River Song where I'm like, all right, she's good enough to let the doctor make out with. Great. All right, Kevin. Well, Sorry, buddy. That's where I stand. Yeah, I'm I, I'm Team River. I. Yeah, I'm, I'm not on board. I, I actually liked her in Silence in the Library when they were teasing that she might not be his wife, even though the clues were pretty darn loud. And um, she clearly loved him. This isn't just a wham-bam, thank you, Doc. She's mm-hmm. in love with him. And they've had many I, adventures. I think my thing with River is uh, it's what, you know, that whole Mary Sue thing they say where she's she's um, she's too special. She's too, oh, I can fly the TARDIS better than you can. But here's the thing. We've mm-hmm. had 50 years mm-hmm. of girl and a couple of guy companions who couldn't. Sure. Why not have one that can? Why is that a problem? It has a lot to do with the fact that uh, it, it feels like um, too much. Uh, I just <laughs> No, I'm serious. I feel like... Uh, where the heck are the flaws in this character? It's almost like it's like she's always smug, always has a flippant line. She's always, it feels like she's always right. It feels like she can always come out ahead. And I'm like, all right, where is some, wh- where is some humanity and flaws in this character? Where can I relate to her? Because now I just feel like, oh, it's River. She'll just save the day. Let's put a cape and an S on her and let her fly. Seriously. It's what it feels like sometimes with her. I guess I can see some of that, but... It's not like we. It's not like she's a constant in Doctor Who. I think if we saw more of her, obviously there would have to be more mm-hmm. depth to that character in that respect. But in the meantime, we've got a gal who is with it. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, in this particular story, one thing I don't like is the. Uh, oh, it's not supposed to make that noise. You leave the parking brakes on, to which I call utter BS. I concur with your BS. <laughs> 
<laughs> which I just read was an added scene because they ran short because they couldn't film some other beach scene because the tide came up too fast. Oh, gosh. We need to fill up some space. Uh, yeah. We need some time. I don't know. Why don't we change the history of the show? Yeah. All right. We'll just throw that in for 30 yeah, yeah. seconds. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense because every TARDIS we've ever seen makes that noise, which means everyone leaves. Yeah, the, the master. Side. Nobody taught the master yeah. how to. And the Ronnie. And the Ronnie. Uh, and all those Sid rats we saw. Yep. <laughs> yep. Sorry. <laughs> and the monk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just nothing else to be said except Stephen Moffat needs to be slapped. Yeah, that was stupid. All, all I can say was the only way I can justify that is River is just being a snot and she's making a really bad joke. That's all I can say in that scene. That makes any sense. It's anyway. funny because speaking of jokes, when we were talking, was it we were talking to Matt? I mean, this is a an, an aside, but I don't care. Uh, when we were talking to Matthew Jacobs, the yeah. other thing we brought up was the doctor mentions he's half human. And was it RTD or Moffat that tried to write off that it was a joke? Uh, the main time I, I saw that was actually in the IDW comic uh, when with Paul McGann when they did a big uh, multi-doctor thing. Uh, and there was by Tony Lee was the main time I ever read that. I feel like Moffat or maybe RTD. I felt it was one of them. But... And and Matthew said to us, um, they tried to write it off as a joke. But no, I, I saw it as the doctor meant it. The doctor is half human, which we man, I can't I hope this documentary comes out. It's called Doctor Who Am I? Mm -hmm. And and Bob and I got uh, interviewed for it. It should be fun. Uh, Matthew's agreed to come on this podcast and talk about it. So hopefully we'll we'll hear firsthand at some point. And I'll and I will ask him these very same questions. Very good. Yes. And then I get to ask him a question I forgot to ask him, which is about the whole Master Snake thing and what that was all about. So that'll be interesting. Uh, okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I, I was going to I, I was, I was going to be a jerk, and I'm already plenty O-jerk. Okay. So back to the episode. I'll tell you what I did like. Okay. And this is something that uh, people online... I was on Gallifrey Base at the time that these were mm -hmm. airing. And when the doctor... Okay, so Amy has to keep her eyes closed. Yeah. She's terrified, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. The doctor leaves. The doctor comes back, and he does the whole, hey, listen, you need to remember, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Remember. Mm -hmm. And obviously, that's a, uh, that's in the future. That's from uh, the finale where he comes back. Uh, and people noticed that he was wearing his jacket, even though he had already left his jacket somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And there were people, they caught that. And I thought that was fun to see follow through at the end. Yeah, I'm glad, too, it wasn't a mistake. Because the Rory's badge from 1990 was a mistake. Yeah, that was a production mistake. Yeah. We all thought, oh, what is that telling us? Oh, no, mistake. How does that mistake happen? I have no idea. I have no idea. It does. At least if it said 96, I'd half understand because the other was supposed to take place in 96. But 90. What? Maybe someone accidentally put down what they thought would be his birthday. Maybe. Which made, would have made him about 20. Maybe. Well, 18. 20 to... It was supposed to take place in 08, that scene. Oh, that's right. All yeah. right. All right. All right. All right. Anyway. Uh, so but, that was neat. Yeah, that was neat. I mean, look, I like, I, I'm all for creepy bad guys. I'm all for uh, going into cool caves and going into a ship. It starts to become that base under siege kind of thing. I'm all for it. It was very nice, creepy Moffat. The tone of it, I really, really like. Um and I like the, uh, the the weird what is it like, like church soldiers or something the clerics, um, oh and then we have the we, we get uh, foreshadowing for series six because she's in prison for killing somebody, 
although they didn't leave much of the imagination saying, oh, what was it like the most important man I've ever met or the bravest man I've ever met? Something like that. And uh, we know right away. I, ca- I kind of think that's not, can it be more than the doctor? That's a pretty important guy. Yeah. Nope. It's the doctor. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I thought so. This is like, uh, hey, hey. Uh, <laughs> the river wife thing where they tease us some more. Amy even says, is she your wife? And he goes, yes, beat. And then he's he really saying yes about something else. But everybody I know watching that said, oh, so he just admitted it right there. And I'm like, well, he might as well have because that's what eventually gets revealed. Back to that mysterious is she not his wife or is she his wife thing, which is like, okay, yeah, great, awesome. So um, who did she kill? Who did she kill? Did is she it the doctor? Kill? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't leave much of the imagination there. It's like if you're gonna if you're gonna fake us out, fake us out. If you're not gonna fake us out, then just tell us. <laughs> you know, be straight up. I think it would have been even as as cool if she mm-hmm. turned to the to the sea and said, "The day that I killed the doctor." Yeah, because then you're oh, then you'd be wondering how that's going to play out, you know, yeah. as opposed to who'd she kill, which is really less of the question. But anyway, so man, mine was just so much better, mm-hmm. and I'm a terrible writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we. We, I like, I like the, I, I know the the screen angel doesn't work for you, but I like the idea of Amy being trapped with an angel, and and having to deal with that, and, and pausing it between the flickers of the static. I thought was a nice way out of that. And listen, if you're gonna do it, and I don't think you should, but I must commend the effectiveness of the sand coming out of her eyes. That was pretty creepy. Because I hated it, mm-hmm. but I hated it because it was scary. And yeah. 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 No, no, there were some creepy ideas in there. Uh, I do think the angels lose effectiveness by simply breaking your neck. There's something kind of mundane about that, as opposed to the coolness of sending you back in time. I I half agree, because I think we're used to something like that, but yet it's just something so violent. It is, but I think what also throws me is, my impression was the moment they touch you, they send you back in time. So I thought, how do they turn off the send back in time power and break your neck? Well, I... I have no problem playing devil's advocate when necessary or uh-huh. when, it, when, it, when appropriate. Sure. And I'm sure they, listen, they're very evolved creatures. I think they can turn off that ability. They can, they can turn will. off the ability? Yes. Okay. So they just decide sometimes, we're just going to kill you. We don't need to feed on your potential energy. I'm full, but I hate you. <laughs> but except all of those angels were, like, dying. They were all, like, half-bout malformed. Do you think they'd be hungry as hell? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. And then there's the part where they somehow used Bob, thank you, Stephen Moffat, for using my name, Bob's voice to talk to the doctor. Again, shades of silence in the library of the, you know, the cool... Um, who turned out the lights? Yeah, who turned out the lights, the, the ghosting effect. So, yeah... Uh, so somehow we don't know how angels can also grab someone's larynx and, and use it to talk. I mean, it made it creepy to be able to actually talk to them. I get that. Um, there was just that part of me going, "How are they doing this?" I mean, I, again, it's okay. I guess we just got to go with it. But you know, it, it just—it's already interrupting what was so great of a concept in the first thing. That the more I watch it, the more I'm like, "I'm not a fan of this. I'm not a fan of this. I'm not a fan of the as you say the angel and the the image thing." 
it's it's adding rules that I think don't necessarily enhance the angels. But they still look very creepy when they're trying to turn out the lights and they're trying to get away. And, you know, the doctor issues his big ultimatum and he shoots the globe and they end up leaping up. It would have been cool to see a little of the effect of them going up, I think, but oh well. And, um, and you know, and when they're in the ship and they're shooting at it. We're already crossing over into Flesh and Stone because we're just going to talk about this all together. Yeah. Um, the forest on the ship was a very novel idea. Um, I thought that was neat. And I liked uh, the creepiness of how Amy was randomly saying numbers and was counting down. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I thought that was nice. You know, I'm five, now I'm fine. I liked all that. Um, and then uh, and then we get to um, Amy having to walk around blind. And that's the other part I hated. I just thought, why in the world would an angel be fooled by somebody whose eyes are closed? That I mean, here's no the sense. thing. Is Moffat, uh, I don't know if you know this about him, but mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing... He thinks he's really clever. Okay. That's what I think that okay. he thinks. All right. And blink. Oh, no, the angels are here. Don't blink. Yeah. Don't close your eyes. Yeah. This one is a bit of a twist. Mm-hmm. You got to keep, keep your, your eyes, eyes closed. closed. But you got to act like you can see. Yes. Yeah, uh, based on what I understand to be the rules of the angels, uh, because they're not observed, they should be. I always assumed that if the, the idea was that they're only stone when they're observed. <laughs> yes. So then, if you're not observing them, if no one's looking at them. They should look like whatever the hell they look like. When and they're maybe stone. they should be surprised. Yeah. Whoa! How she, she's clearly awake, but yet I'm still. Uh, yeah. And then they all jump her. Yeah, it's not a you're right. It's not a it's not a trickery situation. No. They're they're alive, they're moving because she can't see them. Right. And on top of that, when they figure it out, very Scooby Doo style, they all turn and they're still stone. They're just like, Oh, moving stone. And I'm like, No, they're not I mean, that doesn't make sense from what you said, but alright. Maybe they didn't alright. Okay. Anyway, so um, yeah, and then and then she magically gets beamed over. Uh, we lose some clerics along the way, mostly through the crack, uh, establishing what's going to happen to Rory. And then the doctor tilts the whole ship and dumps all the angels into the crack, which ends up becoming borderline uh, got out of the machine moment. But I mean, he was setting it up with the soldiers and and the use of gravity and stuff, so it's not a total fake out, but it does feel very convenient. It was very similar. I mean, you do this, and you make all the aliens get sucked through this area, and it takes me back to Doomsday, where he did that, yes. where RTD did that, yes. with all of the Daleks and Cybermen. Yes, and they're hanging on for dear life with their bodies uh, totally horizontal. And both of them, while that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there another one? Is there another circumstance of that? I feel like we discussed this. Well, there's been a lot of circumstances where they're hanging out for dear life while stuff's being sucked out somewhere, but I'm just referring to the fact there's a white void they're hanging on to make sure they don't get sucked into said void, but all the monsters get sucked in magically, and they're cool. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I guess, so there's a lot of little things I like. I like the tone of it. I like creepy Doctor Who. Um, so uh, I definitely preferred part one to part two. Uh, and I remember at the time generally liking it, not liking part two as much even then, and on subsequent viewings, just liking the rule changes to the Weeping Angels less and less and less. 
And now that I know what I know about River, I really don't like her smugness less and less and less, especially when you add in the parking brake joke. So I rate this two-parter a solid five. It's middle of the road for me. I, I forget one more thing that I liked the, about this and about the Doctor is, you know, we know the Doctor, and he's got his shit together. He's, yeah. he's really yeah. smart and yeah. always very, very cool. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to devise this plan that seems like it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And River's like, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And he loses it for a moment. And he says, what else have you got? But he yells it. Mm-hmm. And it shows him, uh, you know, maybe desperate. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Yeah. But, but I'm still just going to rate it a four. <laughs> All right. You're the negative one. You can rate it a four. Um, this is one of the only ones where I really didn't like it when it aired. But I've slowly come to like it a little more than I used to. So I rate it slightly higher than I used to. Um, Vampires of Venice, I was left very underwhelmed by in 2010. Vampire Ven- Vampires of Venice, when it first aired, I, I really didn't like it. Yeah. Upon uh, watching it again, I really don't like it. <laughs> okay. I only marginally like it better now. I sort of like my opinion of Time of Angels went down, my opinion of Vampires of Venice went up. But we're talking increments here. We're talking by like a point. <laughs> you know, we're not talking major leaps here. Um Oh, so this is the first major one where Rory comes in as a regular, and he's really, and I'm like this guy again. Yeah, and he's not done any favors at all. Remember, of course, there was a bridging scene on the DVD where uh, Amy gets shown. That was actually and, at the end of the episode, I think. No, no, I'm I'm talking about both parts here, but the second part, meaning she gets shown all the classic companions on the main view screen, which I'm all for. That was great. But what led up to it was Amy basically trying to jump the doctor. Boo. And that felt so weird to me. I think because I was hoping after Rose and Martha we'd be over this kind of thing. But no, we're still playing with... And she was about as overt as you get. The other, We never got them literally like throwing themselves at the doctor. No, she was ready to go. And uh, yeah. Um, I yeah. would have I done it. Look, most guys, human guys, sure, no problem. Uh, but he's the doctor, and uh, I agree. And I think his whole uh, tiptoeing around—no, no, why no, you're chasing me? No, no. I, th- I just wanted to see. No, no, no. Yeah, that's not what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. I'm, th- I'm, I'm nine hundred years old. Yeah, he. I, I wanted to see him take control of that situation too. Nip it right in the bud. And be like, nope. Wasn't there a missing scene where somebody does say what? Gosh, I feel like there was uh, one of those linking scenes where he says, damn, I'm sorry. He kind of mentions, uh, well, in that scene where he shows, him, shows her the companions, he does say, no, 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 you got to think of me as like Yoda or Gandalf. Yeah, like a space Gandalf. Okay, maybe that's which it. Which I really wasn't a fan of because I don't like the Doctor making uh, pop culture references. I don't have a problem with the Doctor making pop culture references. Um... I don't know. I'll definitely take it over things like River and the Kissing, for sure. But uh, I, I guess there's a part of me that just kind of feels like, you know, A, that kind of thing tends to date things very quickly. And uh, and B, it's, um, I don't know. I just feel like the Doctor's so kind of worldly, it, it sort of makes him a little too human. That's just my... It's like when he did the whole Ghostbusters thing in Army of Ghosts, I just was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Ghostbusters uh, is known throughout the universe. <laughs> as one of the <laughs> finest films ever made. <laughs> They they show that I'll, in Gallifrey film class. I'll, I'll, 
I'll be honest. I'll tell you what. If he had made a passing reference to, like, a proton pack or something like that, I would have been more on board with that as a fun reference than him literally saying, like Ghostbusters, who you gonna call? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I like when you use your wacky voice, Bob. <laughs> I'm glad to make you laugh, Kevin. <laughs> Vampires in Venice, yeah. Uh, another one where I like the tone of it. It looks gorgeous. Uh, you have hot vampire babes. That always helps. Very hammer. Um, and, um, yeah, uh... We have fish vampires. We we start out with the doctor mm-hmm. and hanging out, uh, finding Rory at his stag party, mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, your fiance tried to kiss me. That's no good." Um, I didn't like that. I didn't like that either. The whole idea of the doctor coming out of the cake thing—it just—it struck me as Moffat just thought this is hilarious, and I'm like, I don't find this funny. I don't see the doctor using that at all as a way to enter a scene. And the idea that he'd be so clueless to say, hey, she tried to kiss me, as you just say, or, yeah. I'd, and the fact he, he, he kept the uh, the stripper in the whatever, whatever. He's he's like, oh, there's a nice girl, and she's diabetic, and she's over here. You better go give her a coat or something. You know, it's it's like this weird thing where I'm like, I, I, they like to write the doctor, especially Capaldi, as though he has no conception of human social norms. And I get that there are times that social norms mean nothing to him, and he wants to cut through the BS and get the job done. But there are other times where I'm like, considering how many times this guy's been to Earth, and how many times he's dealt with humans, I don't believe he would be that technically clueless, and he would know when to maybe not embrace things, but certainly not get in the way of things. And that's just the way I've always read the character. So that always flies in the face of my idea of it. But, you know... I agree. I guess we're going to go with the idea that he's clueless. Okay. So, we meet Rory, who, by the way, doesn't want to punch the doctor for saying this, which is also not good for Rory. And we are introduced to what I'll call poor Rory. Poor Rory. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I mean, this whole... T- and, by the way, that, that this whole episode, I feel like Amy basically still wants to bone the doctor. And Rory is, well, he's in the way. He's 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 the guy who technically... My stupid fiancé is yeah. stopping me from having sex with this guy that I hardly know. Yeah, that's what it feels like the whole episode. That you know, Even, the, what's his name, the the father of the of the uh, girl who's taken is like, I thought you two were the couple. Oh, no, no, they make this big joke about it because it's so true. The way they're acting, she clearly is more into the doctor at this stage than her own fiancé. And the fiancé is just kind of meekly going along with it. And I'm like... This is not boding well for Rory. I mean, yeah, he redeems himself later, but it takes a while. It really takes a while. But I guess sometimes that is part of television. We see a character grow. Sure. But I think for that to have worked better, it would have been more of a, let's see this as the courtship, as opposed to they're already supposed to be together and engaged, in which case I'd call that a damaged relationship. Okay. That's me. That's that's a valid point. Um, anyway, so we, uh, we, we have the vampire. Oh, right. Because, um, she wants to create brides for her sons that are sitting in the lake that, by the way, never attack anybody, not the lake, the canals, never attack anybody else. They're just hanging out, you know, back there waiting to get in the canals. Isn't it? Yeah. That's what you mean though. The people down, the the, the, the creatures down, the creatures. Yeah. Oh, well. How we evolved only, we are the creatures? Are they? Are they? Well, they're evolved enough that they'll eat anything that go that you throw in there. You know. Well, that doesn't. I mean, what that they can't come out and and pretend to be. Yeah, they can't. Or, can they leave? I see. I keep thinking that they should be able to. Maybe they only have so many of those disguise module things, and uh, 
They could have. See, oh, okay. I was wondering why you couldn't have snuck more of them into society, but I guess they got to they got to convert all these girls into fish people. Okay. Yeah, which they do successfully by the end, which is a real shame for those girls. I mean, it's it's of course convenient that they have all the tropes of vampires with the teeth and the mirrors and all that. That is a great scene though with Matt Smith and the mirrors, and he's like, "How are you doing that? This is just Christmas," and he busts out the Hartnell Library card, which is cool. So I like that scene. I like that scene also. Yes, that scene is, and I remember they, they showed that clip early, and I remember going, this will be a great season of Doctor Who. Um, but then we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> then we get to, uh, uh, and, we, and then we get to the sacrifice of the dad, um, who blows up his house to kill the vampire chicks. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the doctor facing off with the queen. Uh, when she uh, offers the alliance and she's talking about the silence and all that stuff and how, oh, you you know, you should be a relic. And they're having, they're, it's like question for a question or answer for an answer thing. I like that. I like the doctor facing off with bad guys. Yeah. Um, very convenient, though, the way he stops everything with the weird doodad on the roof and then he climbs up there and hits a switch and it's all cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was a little convenient. Um, yeah. Um and then uh, that, that's a lot of what I'm remembering. Oh, and then and then Rory with the pathetic broom fight. I remember that. Yes, that happened. And <laughs> and Amy saving him with her compact because they hadn't really established the whole like why certain sunlight hurt the vampires because they could go out on overcast days. That was the other thing. And ultraviolet light hurt them. So I guess by concentrating the sunlight on it, the ultraviolet light, which only kind of hurt them before. I know, I know. Don't think about it, Bob. All right, all right, fine. Anyways. I'm not saying that to you. That's other people saying that to you. I think we should be able to think about Doctor Who and why this story made sense. Okay. And not be made fun of. Okay, all right. Um, yeah. But if you make fun of me, I just, I'm not going to care. All right, so that that's where I'm at with this story. It's just, it's a lot of some nice little moments. It looks nice. It's it's nice bits, but on the whole, it's it just feels very... Uh, things don't totally make sense and it just feels kind of run of the mill and eh, just especially the end where oh okay flick a switch and you're done but part of this is what um has been referred to as the 45 minute syndrome which means you had to smush so much story into 45 minutes you have no choice but to give it a quick you know one magic switch fits all ending but um yeah anyways uh when i first saw this i would have given it like another two or a three i will be very generous and give this a five And I know you can't. You can't even do that. You're going to go four. No, three? Here's the thing is I, I usually think of a five as a... All right. Then and I, I kind of feel that's where I am. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with five. Okay. We're both at a five. Yeah. It's, it, but it's a... This is it like didn't a, do anything that really upset me. See, like, Time of Angels for me is good and bad colliding to make a five. This one is just... It really is a true five. Like, it really is just... <laughs> It's floating on the water. It ain't sinking, but it sure as hell ain't moving. It's just going to float there. No, I get you. I get you. So moving on, Amy's Choice. Um, I'll tell you something about Amy's Choice is it really didn't stop. It was always moving. Mm -hmm. It was always quick. Now is this real life? Mm -hmm. Dang! Mm -hmm. No, this is totally real life now. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't think they stayed in either area too long. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was good. It kept the energy up. The energy. That's what I mean. Kept sure. the energy up. Sure. It was a great idea. I mean, I remember when that trailer hit, I was like, this is going to be a great one. And then I was like, 
that was maybe a pretty good one. <laughs> it's not awful. I generally like it, but I want to like it more than I do. I want to be able to say, looking at that trailer, that's a 10. And it's not quite a 10. No, it's not a 10. No. But it's a brilliant idea. And I like the Dream Lord. And, uh, of course, not only for what Toby White... Uh, I was going to say Toby White. <laughs> um, uh, uh, oh, my God. Actor's name. Toby Stevens is his name? Toby Stevens. <laughs> That's totally Toby. <laughs> I can't believe I'm forgetting. I know it's Toby something. He was in, like, Captain America, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the uh, Capote movie. Oh, you know, I never saw that. Yeah, that's pretty good. And Anyways. he was he was good. He was he was definitely scary yep. as the, or creepy as the. I I do like to think of him as as the beginnings or or the the proto of the Valley Yard. Um, Toby Jones. Thank you, Toby Jones. Toby Jones was fantastic in the part um, because, as I said, I think it makes a great prototype of the Valley Yard. Um, but what exactly was he? He was a dark part of the doctor's mind. Was it a was he a was he a dream? No, I think he really was like a, a part of the doctor's personality manifested. How did he get manifested again? Uh, by those uh, by the the weird pollen that made its way into the TARDIS that kind of activated the whole dream thing to begin with, and because it affected the doctor first, that's why that part of the personality came out. And you could argue through the tele. I'm actually adding to the story now uh, through the telepathic circuits of the TARDIS created this whole environment and made them all fall asleep and blah blah blah. So the Dream Lord was real. Well, he wasn't physically real. Huh. All right. But I would say, you know, there was a definite part of the Doctor's personality manifested in this world that did create problems for them. All right. So we have one world Mm -hmm. where Amy and Rory have... Had a child together. No, no, they're she's they're she's preggers. Yeah, and Rory has a ponytail. Um, they're in a village, and he's a doctor, and uh, still a mullet and mullet and a ponytail. And they're um, and they're living the quiet life. And meanwhile, there's Amy in the t- which, by the way, is absolutely Rory's choice. That's yeah. what he wants to be yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. They've settled, and Amy's locked in as his yeah. wife. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, we've got what was clearly Amy's choice, which is. Uh, they're traveling together through time and space in the TARDIS, but unfortunately, there's a big old bunch of frozen. They're uh, heading towards an like an ice sun. It's a cold sun. Yeah. A cold sun, mm-hmm. and they're gonna freeze to death. Yep. Yeah. Which is a typical Doctor, you know, harrowing escape problem. Uh, I saw it as uh, we have Doctor scenario, Rory scenario. Amy has to choose which one or which guy she wants. So we're back to kind of love triangle stuff, which I don't like. Uh, because I don't see the doctor ever really being a true viable romantic guy, especially when it's one thing for her to kind of think that it's another thing where they actually, the doctor is honestly playing it a little bit like, whoa, you know, that a little bit of rivalry with, with Rory. And I'm like, you shouldn't even, you should be trying to push her your way, dude. You know, like you don't want her, you want Rory to take her away. I don't, was there much, was he a little bit? It was mostly on her. But even consider the fact that the Dream Lord is part of the Doctor's personality. And the Dream Lord at one point turns all Hugh Hefner in the robe, getting a little sleazy with her for a second. Like he, like if, if, if she had suddenly gone, I don't know, all weird and decided to jump him, Dream Lord might have gone along with it. In that well, moment. okay. But I mean, that's, that's, fine the as the, that's fine as the bad guy, though, right? I mean, the, the Doctor can... That's part of the Doctor. But I think that's fine that the Doctor has a 
dark side. Okay. And, and it's a, probably a very small okay. side. All right. I think that's all right. Anyway, I'm just pointing out that there were these aspects of the doctor going on here. It's but how not... about the right? But how about the non-dream lord doctor? I don't. There's not any part where he's like. It's uh, not, Rory, he's not she's ready mine to, by Yeah, the way. he's not ready to to do that as the doctor. But there definitely seemed to be some some rivalry between the two, especially the way they'd be like, "Oh, this is reality. No, this is because Rory, Rory wanted his reality to be real." It's more Rory's interpretation of their relationship, right? Isn't Rory kind of like, "By the way, she's mine." Yeah, there's a bit of that going on. It's so. more than that. More that than the doctor saying, "You know, uh, your wife to be uh, digs me more than you." Just so you know, <laughs> there's none of that. It definitely felt like they were. Playing it up a little bit. That's all. All right. I don't see it that that much, but um, um, but then we find out that neither of these circumstances are real. No. Oh, and oh, but uh, did you catch that the old folks' home was called Sarn? No, I didn't. From Planet of Fire. Uh, why? I, I don't know. It just was. I think it was just production team having a little bit of fun. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Stephen Moffat saying, "Here's one. Here's a little bone for the fans." Sarn. The thing is, when we see those, we want them to mean something. <laughs> hey, and guess what? The real bad guys of this are old people. <laughs> but they're not... They're not they're another aliens living inside old people or something that can shoot gas that disintegrates you. But <laughs> I forgot. I actually read out what their, their name was in the thing, and I forgot it was like the endocrine or something like that. But, the, the endocrine system? No, it wasn't literally <laughs> that, but it was something like that. Anyway... Um, it, it did remind me of the old Monty Python sketch with the uh, with uh, the gang of old ladies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and of course, Rory uh, dies. Yeah, <laughs> I think this is the first Rory death we get. First Rory death. Yeah, and I will say that uh, I think it's very well done. How she decides. First of all, the, the relationship between, between Amy and Rory, she's generally a big jerk to him. Yeah. And maybe it's just because I'm a guy who hates seeing, uh, who's maybe, I don't I guess I haven't been in that relationship, but I would hate to be. I would mm-hmm. sure hate to be Rory. Mm-hmm. Poor Rory. Uh, poor Rory. But this is the first time I think we really see, do, well, how about in Vampires of Venice? Does what? she... She makes a move to Rory when she thinks he's going to die, and she kisses him in that. A little, but not nearly to the degree she does here. Okay. So they're in the old old person universe, and Rory gets killed, and Amy just decides then mm-hmm. that this is not the real one, because if it is the real one, I don't want to live. Which is the, the first time that we see, oh, okay, mm-hmm. she... Not only just likes Rory, she truly loves right, him right. deeply. And mm-hmm. I think that's nice it's to It's nice. Um, it just would have been nicer to have seen that build more instead of the, the classic, hey, he's dead, so I'm blind, I miss him now. But I guess that was supposed to be the big point that pushed her there. So then they kill each other in the car, and then they wake up thinking, okay, well, the cold version's real, and the dream lord says, okay, you chose wisely. And turns out they're both fake. And uh, they really have to wake up uh, again. And everybody's alive and they've all learned a big lesson. Uh, that uh, So basically... This what was sort of, the lesson? The lesson... <laughs> well, don't sniff dream pollen. That's one thing. <laughs> um, but I would also say uh, it's the, uh, the, the... Amy learned her lesson about... Really, she made her choice that 
you know, now it's it's all about Rory. And remember, uh, she kisses him and stuff when she finds him alive, and he's like, uh, could, could you tell me what I did so I can remember to do that again sometime? And to me, that's still more poor Rory, but oh well. It's kind of like when he's uh, carrying her up and she's unconscious in the uh, old folks home, uh, and uh, or not, you know, it's their it's their place, but it's in that dream world, and he keeps hitting her head on the stairs, going, "Sorry, okay, oh, sorry, bump, sorry, bump, sorry, bump," right? Just kept happening. It's one of those things that you know, if you're in the right mood, it's funny, and then uh, unfortunately, last time I saw it, I wasn't in the right mood, and I found it back to poor Rory. And what's interesting about what a TV show can do, mm-hmm. and uh, apologies to Arthur Darvel if you're listening to this. I think that Arthur Darvel walking down the street in 2010, looking like he looked in the 11th hour, mm-hmm. not one second look from any gal. Mm-hmm. But now he's a companion of the doctor, and he is... I mean, they love him. Oh, yeah, yeah. They yeah. love yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. He does redeem himself very nicely by the time you get to the end of the series, and he, he seems more on par with her. They, I think they went to great pains to correct that, um, and I wish they hadn't taken so long because it really tarnished my, my view of the character. But they did. They got, I mean, you know, once he becomes the Roman and he starts doing more badass things. But that's the end of the like, season, though. That's, I know. that's if you're going to have a beginning and end to the growth of a character... It should be... A little more gradual? It should be a season, yeah. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, we get that We get that later. And then they do the forced breakup and then make up an asylum and all that stuff. It's just like, eh. Some strange choices there. But, yeah, no. I know. I know, I know. And, you know, I know a lot of people like Rory. And I, I, I like eventually where they took him. But he did not start well for me. I thought him, he was just kind of... You know, it was it was one of those things like uh, like Adam in the long game again, where I'm like, why is the doctor keeping this guy around aside from making sure Amy doesn't jump him again? You know, that guy didn't even get a scene in the TARDIS. He, oh, didn't, he yeah. didn't get a scene at the console. Oh yeah, good point. Good point. Too bad for Adam. Yeah. <laughs> Not a poor Adam, just too bad for Adam. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I really love the idea of it. I love the concept. I love the Dream Lord. Um, it's just that I can't, I think I just wish the dreams were either weirder, like I was hoping, for, not necessarily like the Matrix in Ultimate Foe, but I'm thinking more like Celestial Toymaker. I think I would have wanted it to be a little cooler and surreal or something. I want the Celestial Toymaker back. Yeah, he'd be awesome. But... Um, yeah, and I, and again, the whole, well, it's all about Amy choosing between her two fellas, it doesn't interest me. So those two things kind of harm the episode for me, and uh, that's why, I don't know, I'm between a 7 and an 8 on it. If I could, I'd go 7.5. I will uh, stay with a 7. Yeah. Screw what I wrote down, I'm going 7. Okay. <laughs> Um, I am going to talk now about um, the wonderful John Pertwee love letter called uh, The Hungry Earth and Cold Blood. Is that what that is? Yeah. What? Uh... The two-parter with oh, the side Oh, there we are. There we are. Yeah. Man, I, I, was, I really didn't care for these. Yeah. Uh, I don't know a lot of people that do, and it's really a shame because in many ways it is a classic throwback. I mean, it's, I mean think about it, man. You got uh, a drill... Dr- drilling down through the Earth's crust, just like Inferno. At a certain point, they're they're shielded off with an invisible shield, like in the Demons. Uh, we're gonna face the Silurians, like the Silurians, who have armor and guns, like the Sea Devils. And um, yeah, it, this is Pertwee. This is Pertwee, man. 
unfortunately, it's not nearly as cool as any of those stories. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I think its chief problem is that it, um, it feels slow. It's a two-parter, and it really feels it. Yeah. Um, and although it's, you know, you got the typical, oh, the guy sucked down into the earth, and then, of course, typical Moffat, the guy's not dead. They, they get him later. Like, I don't think anybody dies in this, do that, well, except for the one Silurian chick, but that's really it. Um, when the Silurians do show up, they look like Star Trek Silurians because they just have facey scales, you know, human face with scales. It's a beautiful makeup job, but I really did wonder, like, why do they not look like the Silurians we know before? I believe Moffat wanted them sexier or something, but it still, it still baffles me. Um, but that's that's what I would want. Yeah, we uh, we want Silurians <laughs> back. But damn it, I don't want to make out with any of them. <laughs> how, how do we change that? Yeah, because that Silurian makeout scene they cut was just you know <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we have so then we have the family on the base and uh, the, the what their son goes missing and they have to go after that's part of what they have to go after. Oh, and then Amy is sucked down. That's a nice scene, nice tense scene when Amy is pulled down into the earth. And, and Rory's um, pissed off. Of course, Rory's pissed You're off. You're supposed to keep her safe. Yep, yep. So that was good. I like that. Uh, the little uh, nod where they see their future selves across the valley was... Yeah, at first I was like, what is this all about? Why is this mm-hmm. here? But then, yeah, it made sense at the end. I it forgot. Is, yeah. I totally forgot because I completely mm-hmm. disregard these episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So this is probably the first time you've seen it since 2010. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's funny how part one to me, I'm like, yeah, there was some running around in a graveyard. Yeah, it was sort of fake nighttime and there was a Silurian and she, she strikes, uh, the, the older guy with her tongue that gives him a virus, which I think was supposed to echo the virus from, uh, the original Silurian story. But you know, what's funny is although he's infected with it, he, he never seems to be slowed down that much by, I mean, you know, he's acting a little, uh, I don't feel good. And you see the weird greeny veins, but it's not like he's bedridden at a certain point. It's not like you see him about to croak. He's just kind of kind of slowed down a little bit. Seems like it doesn't do much. Uh, and then, uh, what is it? Um, the first Silurian girl basically talks the mother into killing her with the um, uh, the taser. Yeah, because... She wants to start the war, and so she knows that if, if she dies, then the war will begin. you got to love that there's always some putz who wants this war to happen no matter what. Yeah. Um and uh, they're waking up because the uh, the drill, right? Yeah, the whole system of how they were taking them up and down from the earth, I thought was a little weird. Um, I liked, I just like the idea that why aren't there just cool tunnels they can go into and walk down like before with some tunnels or caves? That's all I wanted. No, it has to be weird pods we barely see that you sit and get sucked into the earth and somehow carries you down. I know. At the end of the day, if that was my only complaint, I'd probably love the episode, but still. Um, so we get there, and um, uh, you know, kudos for the, the cool-looking sets and the, the Silurian city. That was neat. Uh, and of course, it seems to be limited to a lot of soldiers. Another Queen Bee soldier, I'm going to kill everybody girl. Uh, a scientist who's kind of nice, and a politician who's reasonably well-tempered. Right? Pretty much? That was, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, um, and yeah, so, um, they have to deliver the dead body that creates problems and it does feel like an episode that just when things are kind of getting going, just when, oh my God, all hell's going to break loose. Eh, we're going to gas everybody, send them back to sleep. We're not ready yet. And, uh, send you home. Oh, and by the way, if you're sick, why don't you stick around? We'll cure you and you can hang around down here with us. How do we fix this? I don't know. Let's do it in a thousand years. Yeah. It's just, it's just, yeah. It's like, eh, should we leave now? Nah, we'll put it off. And so it feels like a story that never really got going. It just sort of illustrated that, yeah, 
some humans can do some terrible things when pushed. Some Silurians can't be reasoned with. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I, this is where I prefer the original Silurians, where the Brigadier just blows them up because he's like, I ain't taking it. I'm not dealing with this. Because that was, you know, it was harsh, but it was deliberate. It was an ending. This to me was just like, eh, it's a cop out. And they all go back to sleep. Yeah, it's. But they save the father, they save the son, and everybody seems okay. Oh, and I'm sorry. The big thing is, of course, they find another crack, remember? And then we find uh, there's a piece of the TARDIS in the crack, and uh, Rory gets sucked away. Okay. And dead, dead for the second time. Now, why did the doctor not. <laughs> Poor I'm laughing. Rory. I'm laughing because I have the answer, and the answer is so goddamn stupid. Why did the doctor not get pulled in? Uh, when he stuck his hand into the into the into the crack that sucks everything in and erases it from from human uh, right. How existence. Right, his arm didn't get oh, sucked off because he put his arm in a paper paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> what did he put his arm in? It was like it was some sort of it, it was, was like a handkerchief. A handkerchief. <laughs> no, it's fine. All I can assume is let's that- just you know it's the whole black box syndrome. Just make. Uh, cloaks out of handkerchief and everybody's <laughs> going to be all right. I think the idea was that um, because he's the doctor, he's like immune. It's the best I can give you. I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me either. If, if Rory can get sucked away and uh, he wasn't even putting anything in the crack, then <laughs> that sounds so bad. <laughs> Not until they're married. <laughs> <laughs> But the doctor, uh, but the doctor got away with it. So I have no idea. It, it's it's back. It's back to don't think about it. Why even put the hanky on if you're the doctor? Because apparently fine. the TARDIS piece was hot. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love how he gets it. He doesn't even really seem to know what it is until he compares it to his own sign. And I'm like, that's enough of the sign where I know what that is right away. All right. I mean, I'm I'm gonna. I need your help. We need to try to figure this out. Uh, when when does the TARDIS blow up again? Um, well, it's uh, it blows up. I guess what is that? Uh, the day of her wedding or the day before her wedding? June something two thousand ten. It's around the time the finale airs, whatever date that was. And that's when when Rivers in the time loop, where yeah, she yeah. says, "I'm sorry, my love." Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, so that's that's uh, and the events of this episode take place in twenty twenty. Okay, so the. How was the TARDIS uh, piece just sitting outside that that crack? It wasn't outside the crack. He had to go in it and fish it out. It was lodged somewhere. Right, right, right. It was just, I'm sorry, just inside the crack. Yeah. Um, all right. Okay. Look at the pretty pictures, Kevin. <laughs> Look at the you pretty know, colors. My, the my colors. thinking, too, is if the TARDIS exploded, uh, I guess similar to the whole Hads thing they just did in Magician's Apprentice, um... It wouldn't just... I mean, because it's exploding from the inside, right? It's not some attack from outside. If it does that, then my feeling is it's you would see much more weird-ass shrapnel than the police box. You probably would see the police box, and I understand for the visual of what it is you would. But in theory, there's a lot of TARDIS. That thing is huge inside. So it would be... There would be... A, you'd be seeing bits of all of the weird, you know, orange roundel stuff and the weird pinball thing on his console and you'd be seeing all kinds of other shrapnel and mountains of it everywhere. Um, it, well, or wherever the cracks are, I guess. Um, 
I, I think it's a highly simplified thing to say, oh, no, just that box, just that police box will blow up. Yeah, I really can't get behind this this crack. <laughs> or, or the fact that cracks are all there as a result of the TARDIS exploding? Yes. Okay. All right. Anyway, so we find out, this is where we find out, the cracks are from the TARDIS exploding. And uh, and it takes Rory away, which is going to have some repercussions, because when she sees... Them, uh, them, it's only her now. It's some her would say some some who f- who care about story, yeah, would say that if Rory was taken out of time and space, yeah, the Doctor wouldn't notice him taking pictures of the uh, the stuff in the eleventh hour. Zero. Yes, he wouldn't notice that. And might Zero's not have saved the day in the eleventh hour. Yeah, yeah. So they'd be all dead. <laughs> Very possibly. Yeah, very possibly. Yeah, but people who think about that are stupid. But I, I guess we're supposed to believe that he would have figured another way to solve it without Rory there. Maybe. And uh, okay. But yeah, so uh, the doctor wisely—is it wisely? I don't know. But he hides the engagement ring, and he tries to get Amy to remember. Just hold on, hold on. But Amy forgets. Would the engagement ring even still be there if Rory was never there? Stop thinking about this. <laughs> okay. We, we I have, guess we could yeah. take, uh, and, I'll, and I'll, re- I'll step away from my sarcasm for a moment, and we could say that, you know, they do this a lot where it's, you know, we're at the eye of the hurricane, we're at the, the center of where everything happens, okay. so it reaches us last. Okay, all right, okay, we'll do that. I went back to um, Devil's Advocate. Yeah, um, so uh, Cold Blood and the Hungry Earth, um, boy, it's funny, I have this down as a six, I feel like I want to rate this lower. Um, go with your hate. Go with my hate. It is just such an underwhelming two-parter, despite, again, some nice elements and nice tone. It's nice to see the Silurians, but... I'm going with a four. I would go with a five, but I'm losing a point just because they reintroduced a classic monster and it did not meet my expectations. Yeah, that's true. All right, I'm going with a five. Wonderful five. Um, So, yeah. Vincent and the Doctor. Uh, a fan favorite. Um, this one does have the delightful Bill Nighy in it, uh, uncredited, doing a nice. He's bow- uncredited. Yeah, he's uncredited. He has a nice bow tie comparison with Matt Smith. Um, our friend ba- Brad hates this one because he thinks it's uh, really pandering to all uh, artists everywhere who just want to. be I don't think it's pandering to artists. I don't think so. Either. I, think I think it's a weird read on it. I mean, I, I guess I get it, but that's not at all what I think the intent was. I think uh, what's his name, Richard Curtis. Yeah. Creator of co-creator of Black Adder. Yeah, I think co-creator. Yep. Maybe, maybe complete. I don't know. No, no, no. Co-creator no. of Black Adder. Yeah. Uh, Love Actually, one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Definitely one of my favorite Christmas movies. Yeah, I think he just had a hankering to write as a, a, a story about depression, and maybe he's had someone affected by it in his life, or maybe he just wants to help. And Vincent Van Gogh meets the doctor. Um, another celebrity <clears throat> historical. Um, I think it's you know I think it's a it's a decent episode. Um, I I do like uh, the interplay with Van Gogh and Amy and the Doctor. Um, I know uh, uh, I know they, they I, te- I think they technically got some of the timeline on his life wrong, or certainly when he did some of the paintings. But okay, dramatic license. Uh, I do know that I like that. I like them dealing with him and, and seeing the real guy. You know and. You know, I love even when he's, uh, what is it, he's trying, he's going to draw them the monster and he's painting over one of his paintings so he doesn't give a shit. And he's just like, right. uh, 
Uh, that's cool. I like that a lot. Um, it's the chicken monster that kind of hurts this one. And it's the fact that the monster doesn't even really matter. No, it's just an excuse for the doctor to be there. Because he see, I like the idea that he sees something weird in the painting. He's got to go back and check it out. That's cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, because it's just a lot of them running around chasing an invisible creature that you see once in a while. And they manage to kill it with an easel, basically. And, or was it a tripod? And that, it was very beside the point. It was really it was, They bad. accidentally killed it. They didn't even yeah, yeah, yeah. It. It's, it's just them. It's almost like a comedy scene with this invisible thing tossing the doctor around and stuff. It's very like, yeah. The best thing about it is I love his gizmo where he's got to spot it with the car mirror. And it's identifying it. It falsely identifies the doctor, not falsely, but you know, it, and it shows Hartnell and Troughton coming up with the typewriter. Um, I like that, but you know, I'm a sucker for anything classic. Um, yeah, it, it starts fine. It's just it's the monster stuff to me. It's just so it it just feels like all right. It's a doctor who's got to chase a monster, but you're not invested. You don't really care. And the idea, of course, that the monster was blind, right? I don't remember. Yeah, I think I had to detect them by, uh, I want to say it was smell or sound or something. But yeah, I mean, this shows you, we're not even fully remembering this detail. It was important detail in the episode. Uh, but then, of course, the real payoff is uh, they decide to show Van Gogh his work in the future being shown off in a gallery. And Amy thinks that's it. Yeah. We showed him that he matters and he's not going to kill himself. Yep. Which, I mean, I don't even know if necessarily, if you have a time machine... You know, if if you if you save Van Gogh's life, mm-hmm. does his work become famous? People, hmm. people's art becomes becomes valuable and noticed after they die. This what if he What if he lived and he kept doing paintings until he was seventy and mm-hmm. and nobody cared? Well, I think he still would have. They still would have been appreciated later, but he just would have had a larger output. I think the idea would be just more paintings and he would have died naturally. I think that's what she would have really wanted. Mm. Yeah. But they can't change history. That See, they can't change history here, unlike things they do later with changing history. Well, I wouldn't even say that they can't necessarily, because the doctor's like, she's, she's, she, she says, ah, it's, it's, everything's going to be great. He's going to be alive. And he's like, oh, no, mm-hmm. I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. He's not shut off to the idea. Mm-hmm. But... Sadly, he continued. Yeah, it's a nice scene. It's a touching scene. I like it a lot. Um, I mean, I love the sentiment. I like the interplay. It's the chicken monster that kind of ruins this one for me. So it's it's a very, um, you know, it's a nice personal story. It's a nice way to pass the time. I don't love it like some fans, but I do like it. I would give it an 8. I'll go with an 8 as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Richard, Richard Curtis. I actually wish he'd write another one. I'd like to see what he would do. It's more of a traditional Doctor Who story. I agree, and I I wish that if you're going to put Bill Nye in, I, I wish he was in a bigger part. Yeah. And now it's going to be tough to get him back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's weird seeing him there because I was getting almost like a glimpse of like, so this is what it might be like if he was the Doctor. You know, he was he was on deck yeah, man. as the ninth Doctor for a while. Mm-hmm. So we're on to the uh, the penultimate the uh, the comedy episode, the Lodger. Well, the lodger. I mean, I know some people that hate it, some people that love it. I um, 
unlike its sequel, I, I do generally enjoy it. I think it's uh, it's fun. I mean, you have to treat it as it's it's a Doctor Who comedy. A lot of people uh, see, what was it? There was a guy commenting on our marathon saying, oh, you guys don't like the comedy episodes. And I go, well, I can see the argument for that. But when it's done okay, I'm not... I'm not How many it. comedy episodes are there? Well, I mean, you have a... I mean, I would argue Love and Monsters is a comedy episode. I would label that a tragedy. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I almost would call uh, Partners in Crime a comedy episode. I could see that. I mean, the Oedipos... The Oedipos are hardly threatening. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the kind of uh, runaround he does with Donna and stuff. Um, there, there aren't tons, but I mean, the, the lighter tone episodes, like, there are some that are total failures, like most of season 24... But there's some of the stuff that works, I think, when you get some episodes in season 17, like City of Death, I think is a good lighter episode that works well with the comedy, the humor. Um, that said, I do I do enjoy it. Um, I know some people don't like it because they think of it as Doctor Who the sitcom. And I think that's being a little unjust to it. Listen, I, I think it's a neat idea. Let's see yeah. what happens if the Doctor just has to pretend to be normal for a few days. Yeah, yeah. And, and lo and behold, uh, he magically becomes this guy that... Uh, he almost ruins Craig's... In a way, he helps Craig's life, of course, but he appears to ruin it at first by being this guy who shows him up in the soccer game, and he can cook better than him. And initially, even the girl he likes shows some interest in the Doctor more than Craig. Um, and then he even does his job better than him and all that stuff. Um, I really, uh, I mean, granted, the threat here is almost, again, an afterthought. The weird thing about the stairs, that's actually a ship that's looking for a pilot that we presume is related to the silence. I'm still trying to fit, because that quote-unquote console room at the top of the building yeah. is revisited and below the, the earth. Yes, in Day of the Moon. Mm-hmm. But still not a whole lot of follow-up. I think when, when I see a set like that, I want to see shit happen. It looked cool. It did look cool. I was really expecting that to pay off in some way that was related to the Doctor, that this is some, I don't know, another Time Lord thing or a future TARDIS or something. Um, and the fact that it's not really explained, and at best we just see it as sort of a silence control room, in which case I'm like, that's just weird. So you're telling me that this was a silent ship and it can disguise itself, but most of the time they're just hanging around, not being noticed? Then why isn't there a silent? Like if they're think about it too. If silence is the silent, whatever the plural of silence. If they're around all the time but you can't see them, then how come it couldn't just attract another one of them if they were all around the whole time to take the ship away? I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of where they end up in season six, right? I mean, there's supposed to be a whole bunch of them, right? Instead, they imply it's like an alien ship of different origins. See, this is, to me, this is just further illustration that wasn't really thought through. But um, you could also argue that, okay, pl- pl- let's flip it around. It is some random alien tech. It is not a silent ship. The silence being around just came across another one of these things, or maybe they hijacked that one when it was on its way out and said, we're going to use this to do some nefarious stuff. <laughs> I don't know. So maybe it's stolen technology. Um, maybe it's still in Time Lord technology, but you think the Doctor would have recognized it when he was in it. So, I don't know. It does look really cool, but oh well. Um, I do think, though, uh, yeah, the, like the soccer scene's great. I love the uh, the cool um, spinning bit with the umbrella and the oars that the Doctor invents. His, his yeah, because he, he can't have any uh, future technology go off so he has to use anything that he can find yeah. around him that would exist in the time around non-technological him. technology 
Yeah, I, I know. It's very perch for you, like with the wine bottle and the cork and the forks and all that, but I love it. I think it's great. Uh, I do like that he headbutts Craig and gives him all that information. We get more of the flashbacks of old doctors and stuff, so that's neat. Um, and and, and uh, Corden, James Corden, does a really great job, especially when he's getting all that. When, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when he gets the call from Amy and, and what's his name in the show again? Craig. And Craig's like, that's Amy Pond. Yep. And he's, he's, yeah, I think he, he's very, very good. Yeah, no, they have a good chemistry. It works fine. And the, the, the bits that he's trying to tell the girl that he's into, he's into her, but we can all relate to that. Well, I think we relate it to, to a point. I think it's, it's frustrating for me because that's the kind of, the way Craig is acting Mm -hmm. is the way someone would in, in high school, Mm -hmm. 16 year old, maybe can't figure out how to tell this gal that he digs her. I think guy in his thirties it's hard for me seeing somebody act incompetent like that. I get it, but I think we have to assume that uh, because of the nature of their relationship and the character of Craig, who we're going to assume is hardly a ladies' man, and uh, he probably had quite a few stumbles on the romantic front, uh, let's say he's been rejected one too many times, so he's afraid of getting the same rejection notice. Every guy doesn't like being rejected. Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, and also, I'm just, that's how I read it. And, or you could also view it as, you know, uh, surrogate for the, uh, the nerd fanboy who's still trying to get his grips with women or something, but. Well, <laughs> I mean, that, and that takes me even further down the line of thinking about Love and Monsters, where mm-hmm. all those Linda lot, yeah. as the fifth doctor would have said. Yeah, yeah. They were just, they were, they were pathetic. Mm-hmm. They were feeble. Mm-hmm. Feeble, mm. and uh, and that's how Russell T Davies, I believe, sees us, the fans. Yes, and if Craig is really supposed to be some, well, he's not supposed to be a fan, I guess. But I know I I think he's old enough to be able to. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just Kevin Kittredge's. I don't I don't take that route anymore. I don't take. I, the, I know. You I don't know. Kevin. You're you're pretty. I, I, I think you're pretty. <laughs> I know Kevin, but um, you know, I, I, you know, even in, uh, uh, even into my twenties, uh, I can, I can remember times where you know I might have had a hard time approaching some girls. Depends on the girl. Always depends on the girl in the contact situation. But I've got to assume in this case they've been friends. He likes her maybe, and he it's that classic. Oh, I don't want to ruin the friendship kind of thing, you know. And people, you know, that stops certain people. You've been there. You understand. But and then there's the whole God, I guess I have no reason to stay here. I'm gonna go check out monkeys in Africa or whatever she says, right? right. Yeah. And he's like, Is there a reason? Uh, not really, I guess. You should probably just go do that or you or you could stay. Um She's yeah. begging him to say, yeah. stay. you know what? Yeah. I, I yeah. care about yeah. you. Yeah, I know. Say. But guess what, Kevin? It's gotta be saved. So the big moment can be I love you, love saves the day. Oh, that means we can That's right, love yep. saves the day. Minus five stars. <laughs> <laughs> so that you can pull her away and the ship will take off without uh, without her because I she wants to leave. That and it never took Craig because he doesn't want to leave. Yeah. It's a point that I always forget about with that show until I've seen it now recently. But yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I do enjoy the soccer scene, even though it's silly, but I, I, it's fun. Sure. And the weird time loop stuff is cool and um, well, well shot. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a fun episode. I mean, there like, is that shot yeah. where you enter Craig's place and you walk walk in, and before yep. you get to his, oh place, yeah, 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 there is 
this painting on the yeah. wall that is centered. I think it's him in, in the doctor, or it could be him in, in the gal. Mm-hmm. Centered mm-hmm. on this crazy ass painting painting mm-hmm. of this guy's face. Mm-hmm. And it's never talked about. Yeah, I, I don't know the meaning. I, I get the feeling the director just liked it and thought it was funny. and Because it seems to have no purpose in the episode. It's not like a painting of a doctor... Or it's uh, the kind of thing that should mean something. Yeah, it should mean because something. They should come back to yeah. it. But I think it's. Gosh, is it my favorite part of the episode? Because <laughs> this is a weird painting, or the you know, not not the part where he comes out thinking he has a sonic, but it's an electric toothbrush. That is not my favorite part. Okay, of the it's not my favorite part of the episode. Now, or, I'm sure all the female fans like seeing Matt Smith in a in a towel. Well, good for them. Okay, and do, how do you feel about this being Amy Light? This is the Amy Light episode. She's stuck in the TARDIS while it's swinging around. They don't really explain very well why the TARDIS is freaking out, I guess, because of issues with the with the bit on the roof. But if it's not Time Lord technology, why would it freak out? And Yeah. There was a thing, as I said, I read uh, saying that a silent somehow had, had taken over the TARDIS and was doing something to it, which I got. I didn't get that at all in the episode. So I don't know if that was somebody reading into it or reading more into the ship on the stairs and somehow that was doing it. It's a little convenient, but you know, whatever. It's just so that the doctor's on his own and Amy doesn't have to act like, you know, his ambassador to the world so he can be more on his own. So I'm fine with it, but this is one of those times where I don't think it makes a ton of sense again, but it's convenience and it makes it fun. I don't know how many people listening to this watch the Showtime show episodes, Mm. but the gal who, what's her name again in the show? Craig's um, Craig's gal. Oh, uh, Sophie? Sophie, yeah, that sounds about right. Sophie, in this, she's she's a sweet, sweet gal. In episodes, she plays a Hollywood executive, mm. uh, a, a TV and film TV executive, and she's just, she's just annoying, and she's not interested, and everything she says is very judgmental, maybe. Um, and so it's very nice to see her again, uh, when I rewatch this and go, oh yes, I do like this person very much. Mm-hmm. I feel I've seen her in other stuff too, but I can't pinpoint it, but she's great in episodes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's an enjoyable episode. You know, it's, it's a good change of pace. I, I like it. I would give it a nine. Uh, I was going to give it an eight, but you reminded me that love saved the day. Cause I'm going to go with a seven. <laughs> I forgive the love saves. You're right. If I really let that wait, but you want to know what? I'll take this any day over Bracewell and chasing the girl that doesn't exist. Bracewell is the scientist from victory of the Daleks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, weird name. Yeah. Bracewell. Yeah, I know. Um, so onto the finale, the Pandorica opens in the big bang. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, this is the first time I think I saw Moffat go really epic where we see the um, you know we see all this payoff from the season where it opens with Van I'm sorry yeah Van Gogh's freaking out because he's painted the the painting of the TARDIS exploding and the painting gets tracked down through you know it's hanging in the area where uh, River has to escape uh, with the lipstick again and meets Liz 10 and gets that. And, you know, we're, we're paying off all this stuff we've previously seen. Oh, and Churchill, Churchill and Bracewell's there again, and they're looking at the painting and all that. So it's nice to sort of tie it all together. Sure. Um, gives it a, definitely a grander scope than before. Um, so Although if you think about it, you know, it, this is just another day in the doctor's life, but only the people he's met in the last nine, 10 yeah. episodes are, 
right. coming back. Coming back. But obviously it's done for the sake of the viewer. I mean, Wilf, Wilf couldn't possibly come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, A, Moffat's trying to make a clean break. B, trying to keep it for people. Well, keep in mind, remember, this was the first season, uh, full season, that was shown on BBC America, the billboards... The EW Gosh, the billboards. Ads. Yeah. Billboards in Hollywood yeah, for yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah, remember that? And the, it was a four-page ad in Entertainment Weekly. There was one had. right by the comedy store in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like, right there. Yeah. And and remember that when this aired on BBC America, it had that cheesy opening with Amy Pond explaining the show to new viewers. When I was a girl, when yeah. I was a little girl, I had an imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. Yep. This uh, was primed to bring in new viewers who maybe hadn't watched it on sci-fi. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's a good point. So at this point... And it worked. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It got big ratings. So, um, so yeah, no, it's... Uh, I, I really like Pandorica Opens uh, a lot. Part, I mean, I think part two lets it down a little bit, but I generally like the finale. Um, I definitely liked... Uh, I mean, again, we have that River Song stuff, which I'm like, yeah, okay, River, get over yourself. But uh, I do like how... Uh, because I'm sorry, it's we're in the oldest planet in the universe, and that's a cliff, and, and it's like so long, but thanks for all the fish, but not, you know, and the hello, sweetie, right? Yeah, so we get to uh, what my favorite part is when they get to the underhenge. I love the underhenge, I think it's really cool. And they find the Pandorica. Is that something you made up? No, what the underhenge? That's what they call it. Who calls it that? That doctor, everybody in the episode, they call it the underhenge. They, the, they call it in the, the episode, the cave underneath the stonehenge, they call it the underhenge. Uh, I was paying attention. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, I like the underhenge. I like the I like all that Stonehenge stuff. So I'm down with that. Sure. Yes. Yep. And I, I and like, the fact that they really shot there, I think, is very cool. Yep. Yep. And I, I like them discovering the Pandorica. I even like the attack of the uh, the um, torn apart Cyberman, where it's shooting at him with its arm and the dart. I like the head darting Amy. All that. I thought that was cool. Uh, they overplayed uh, uh, Rory's return a little bit, I thought, for the uh, the comedy where he's talking to him like nothing. He talked to him like it was business as usual for so long. I thought the doctor was in on it, or of this weird return of Rory. And then we had that delayed reaction where he's like, oh, "You're alive." I was fine with that. Um, yeah. So then uh, I, I know I'm breezing through this, but basically it's like, okay, so you have all the ships. I love the name check of all the cool aliens, like the Chelonians and the Zygons and the Nestines and all that. Doctor's his big speech. All the fans love the big speech, you know, to, to the aliens that uh, Sylvester McCoy even did. Yeah, point, yeah, know. and I think others have followed up too. I think they've asked others to do it. I don't remember who, but it's just I have a feeling. They've that... done different speeches to different doctors. McCoy got this one. <clears throat> I, I mean, you talk about the bravado, yeah, of the doctor, and I will take this bravado over eleventh hour bravado. By the way, but if me, you're up in the sky, yeah, with hundreds of other alien ships, mm-hmm. and the Daleks really are too scared yeah. to shoot the doctor, yeah, and the Cybermen are too scared, yeah, it does not jive with Double K. <laughs> <laughs> so I like the idea that he bluffs them there. I would have preferred an honest bluff as opposed to just, hey, you know me, and, and uh, I've got nothing to lose and no plan, which means I'm the most dangerous, so let someone else try first. <laughs> That's when I'm like, and he has no plan. Yep. We got this guy. <laughs> yeah, fire away. Boom. We don't even have to stick him in a Pandorica. We can just fry him right now. So they've been they've been chasing the doctor. Mm-hmm. They've been trying to track him down. Yeah. They found him. Yeah. Ooh, let's go. Yeah. Let's leave. Yep. 
But it's supposed to be a part of the plan sticking the Pandora because they believe that will be the ultimate prison form. Rather than just kill him, I guess, because they figure if they kill him, he'll just keep regenerating or something. I like the twist, though. I mean, it's, it is it is a very uh, fanboy thing to say. Oh, and they've all teamed up! It's everybody! I will say I, I am glad that the Cybermen and the Daleks finally were able to team up team up, and yeah. put the past behind them. Uh, although I know some fans who believe that like, uh, if the Daleks were there, why in the world would they have teamed up with anybody? Why wouldn't they have killed them all and just done the plan themselves? Or no, no. Even the Daleks yeah. are so scared that they will team up. I, I can only go with this mostly because it's not so much the Doctor, it's the fact that they see the universe is on the line. These cracks are are erasing and destroying things, and they're like, all right. The universe? For the greater good of the universe, we're going to put the, the Doctor in this Pandorica and make sure that the hardest never explodes. That's where I keep my stuff. Yeah. All right, know. Kevin. I think that's a funny joke. I would think, though, I would think that rather than put the Doctor in the Pandorica, they would put the TARDIS somewhere safe and make sure it's never touched. Because, in theory... And obviously, as it's shown, the Doctor didn't blow up the TARDIS. Somebody else does. You would think they'd want to protect the TARDIS more than the Doctor. Or put put them both away. Whatever. Where is the TARDIS? Uh, at that point, River's got it. And she goes back to Amy's uh, place to um, see the whole connective thing. With oh, yeah, the, yeah. The Romans and all that. And she finds out that they've used Amy's like memory to, to conjure up this whole thing with the Romans and everything like that. And the Pandora's box, and the Pandora's box, which does beg the question. And I was trying—I mean, while it's cool and it kind of makes it kind of a ooh plot unravels, I was trying to figure that out. Going so, the coalition of all those enemies did that, or did the silence do that? This whole use Amy's memories to create fake Romans and a Pandora and all that. And in that case, why did they do that? To I mean. To, to make it intriguing for Amy, which I think is a bit strange, because by doing that it would make a greater mystery so the Doctor would get more intrigued and be lured into the trap? Am I thinking about this too much again? I mean, I don't know the answer. Okay. I don't I'm know just, I'm just wondering if, if you... Okay. Never mind. It's still neat. I still like it. Um, so we, we get to the great... Uh, this is a pretty awesome cliffhanger, though, where Rory is now a, an Auton. And he can't help his programming, and he's going to kill Amy, who's just remembered who he is. Um, so that was pretty cool, very tense. And uh, the Doctor is being thrown in the Pandorica um, at the same moment the TARDIS is, is exploding. Would have been nice if we had the reason for it exploding. Maybe not who, but we saw a bomb or something, or a readout that says overload. Some, I would have liked something. Rather than just, oh, TARDIS isn't working, and I open the doors, and it's, it's a stone wall, and, and boom. So TARDIS explodes. Doctors in the Pandorica, Amy shot to death, and the whole universe is ending. That's a hell of a cliffhanger. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of Sledgehammer. Yep. Uh, any of you kids out there, <laughs> take a look at Sledgehammer, which is a comedy crime, comedy series, uh, cop series. What was the name? What was his name? The guy who played Sledgehammer. Oh, God. Uh, David. Um... There's a sh in his name. Wow. Rash. Thank you. David Rash. Anyway, very wacky, somewhat somewhat airplane type humor. And at the end of the, I think it's the first season, uh, Sledgehammer is trying to stop this nuclear bomb from blowing everything up. And he fails. Boom. The last thing we see in the season is a nuclear bomb go off. Then we go to the second season. 
and we get a recap and we see the nuclear bomb blow up and it says on the bottom of the screen this happened before that <laughs> and i think that's delightful and it's uh, i think the universe being blowed up or disappearing mm-hmm. is another it's it, it's a it's what stephen moffat does he takes something that will change everything and then he takes it all back shortly thereafter. Kind of like killing characters and then not letting them stay dead? Correct. Okay. Kind of like the time war happened and it didn't happen kind of thing? Uh, this is a little behind the scenes for you. Uh, sometimes it takes a while for these episodes of, of this podcast to go up. As we are recording this now, we have just watched Under the Lake. And uh, we're looking forward to Before the Flood, where the doctor... <sighs> So we find out he has to die, mm-hmm. which is probably much different than this. <laughs> He's probably actually going to die, and Clara takes over <laughs> as the doctor, which has been hinted at all along. <laughs> and then she'll regenerate at the end of the season, because we all know Jenna's leaving. Anyway, uh, I find that frustrating when we see a cliffhanger that we know is not real. Uh I get that, but, you know, I honestly would... I remember at the time, this was Moffat's first season, I was genuinely intrigued. And, wow, that's a hell of a cliffhanger. How are they going to get out of this one? Just as before I saw how badly they got out of it, when the Doctor starts to regenerate at the end of um, uh, Stolen Earth, I was like, that's new. That's neat. Man, how are they going to get out of this? What a, what a, what a terrible thing. <laughs> it was really terrible. And it was wrong. It was like, <laughs> it was like, was it was it put out that the Christmas special was called the Next Doctor by then? I don't remember that. I don't think so. That was a desperate attempt to get ratings, and it worked. Mm-hmm. But when you, it's so wrong to say something that's only happened uh, nine times before in this forty-five year history mm-hmm. is going to happen, and then it doesn't happen. Or it kind of happens. He Man. does. He regenerates long enough to heal his wound, and then oh, bad, and, bad, 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 bad. <laughs> it siphons the rest off into his hand. Bad, which uh, can only happen because the hand was there. All right. So we start off the next episode. Mm-hmm. How does it start off? Uh, so we pick up, and uh, little Amelia Pond is now in essentially an alternate reality where Earth is the only sentient planet. Because we're the only one with a star, which is revealed later to be the exploding TARDIS. Uh, Amy then goes to a museum where there's a frozen Dalek and all kinds of weird stuff. And uh, time, timey-wimey abounds where the doctor's gone back in time and given her a brochure and gives her a drink that was, that was her own drink and blah, blah, blah. Inside the Pandorica, it opens and it's adult Amy saying, all right, kid, this is where it gets complicated. That's right. Um... So, yeah, we cut back, and it turns out the Doctor's using a Vortex Manipulator to go back and give Rory a Sonic to free himself, and then put Amy, who he's just shot, inside, because the Pandorica will magically heal her, because I guess she's not, it's like uh, Princess Bride, she's not completely dead, you know, (laughs) he's only mostly dead. (laughs) The Pandorica is a prison slash... uh, Healing box. Healing box. (laughs) Just saying that makes me go, wow, i got to drop this a point, don't I? Um, it's uh, So, okay. Uh, and he's got to give her the Sonic so the Doctor can have it in the future. 
because he touches the two Sonics from two different time zones and they spark. Right. Because usually when you touch things from different time periods, it's a bad thing. But then when Amelia and Amy touch, there's no problem. When And when the doctor shot versus the doctor not shot touch, there's no problem. So go take that as you will. Um, yeah, so a lot of timey-wimey stuff happens. Uh, River shows up because he ends up saving her with the Vortex Manipulator. What's the PAN stand for again? What was the previous Pan- episode? Pandora. Pandora opens. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So a lot of time, and I know a lot of people who hate this because basically there's no way the doctor really got out of the Pandorica. He gets out with basically, um, he gets out because when he gets out, he has somebody get him out. Yeah. There's no way he originally got out to start the loop. So that doesn't make technically make any sense, which I understand. Funnily enough, while I salute that that is an issue, uh, I don't think it's the worst issue of the episode. Um, as in, if that was the only problem with the episode, I w- would probably just go, yeah, okay. I'll let it go. I mean, I'm just getting, I, I find myself jumping towards the end here. Uh, yeah, but, so, but, right. They um, they find out that, oh, right, so a Dalek gets woken up, and it's chasing them around, and uh, it shoots the Doctor. So now the Doctor's got to get shoved back into the Pandorica. The Doctor, is he dead? Yeah, the Doctor dies. Uh, yeah, but he's been put back in the magic healing box. So um, he's going to, you know, pilot the Pandorica back into the, the the TARDIS because it's exploding everywhere to basically restart the Big Bang and recreate the universe. But by doing so, he'll be on the wrong side of the crack and he won't be there, which actually creates a lot of problems because although the universe will be restarted and be fine and be fixed, uh, if he's not there to do what he normally does and he's erased, uh, we got a lot of problems. You know, which, I mean, which here, we already showed in Turn Left, where he's, if he's not there, there's a lot of issues that are going to happen on a lot of planets. So, I mean, all this, it's, I just hate it. it. It just doesn't make sense. It's just all so... And then he, he shows up and he starts going back through his own time, hence where he shows up in Time of Angels and says some stuff to, to Amy and, and all that. And um, and then he says goodbye to Amelia with that really nice speech. I think Matt Smith gives a really good performance there. Um, you know, talking about how he borrowed the, the police box, how he's meant to give it back and all that good stuff. And then he sneaks off uh, to skip the, the rest of the rewind, which would have included classic Doctors. And, um, and he's apparently gone forever until Amy who's now in a universe where her parents are alive, uh, remembers him back into existence because he did the whole connective something borrowed, something old, something blue thing. Uh, and uh, and so the doctor comes back. They all have a fun wedding. And they go off together. yippity yippee kaye. That's the end of the season. Yeah, she remembers him into existence. Yes, she remembers him into existence. Again, we're back to fairy tale Moffat logic. I don't like it. <laughs> Is it better than Love Saves the Day? I don't know. <laughs> it does move. It does move kind of cool. You have all the time hopping around. You've got a little threat from the Dalek. Oh, and River stands off at the Dalek. I will say that That's- he he's been planting the idea that you can... Like when... When Rory, quote-unquote, died, when he mm-hmm. got sucked into that hole, mm-hmm. she, he was telling her that you can bring him back. You can will him back. Just don't forget. Don't forget. Which, I mean, was obviously a, a set up for mm-hmm. this finale. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think I could have bought it more if at least there was a gizmo she had that somehow helped, I don't know, that somehow by 
mental suggestion or, or psionic thoughts or something, psychic energy could do something. It's some sort of tech helps her. I think I would have accepted it more. I think, I think Stephen Moffat was at a wedding and he heard something borrowed, something blue. Okay. Hey, that's like the TARDIS. Oh, I'm going to use that. I'm going to write an episode about that. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Can you imagine if she did that whole speech and you remember, you know, she gets all shouty about it, you know, come on, raggedy man, something borrowed, something blue, and if, if nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> she looked totally, totally screwed. I will say, totally as screwed. as much as I do, I mean, uh, someone who's trying to make it all work, who would like it all to work, and it clearly doesn't on a regular practical level, mm-hmm. I do like the her something borrowed, something blue speech. It's very inspiring. Mm-hmm. And we get River back to remind her with the diary that's currently blank because the doctor's not there yet to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's at the end of this one. He actually hears the mention of an Orient Express in space, which we won't get a, any glimpse of until season eight, right? And then, um, yep. And they show up, and they're going to take off. And she, when he shows up. At the wedding, she again tries to kiss him. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he does his uh, silly giraffe dance with the kids that everybody likes. And she and, and Rory's like, hey, uh, what's with you trying to make out with the doctor? It's my wedding. Mm-hmm. Poor Rory. It makes me not like her. Yeah. I know. I she uh, Both Rory and Amy get improved as the series goes on, I think. Um, especially Rory, but I mean, he does start to redeem himself here with the, uh, becoming the, um, the knight who watched over her for a thousand years. So that's yeah, it's a, a long time. It is, but he was an all time. I do like the, uh, <laughs> I do like the moment when he's like, he, he's like, Oh yeah, this is transmitting something. How do you know? He's like, trust the plastic. I like that. It's a nice bit. But then the, so the universe gets reset. Yeah. He restarts the big bang. By the Pandora and the exploding TARDIS. So he, don't u- he uses the the event of the TARDIS exploding to reset everything, and effectively, it's it's a giant reset button. If you think about it, it's a giant rewrite button that saves everything. Yeah, I don't want to talk about this episode anymore. <laughs> but in the scheme of things, at least it feels like it makes more sense than any of the other arcs we get later. Yeah, I mean, it is it is definitely a season arc. Yeah, we have these cracks, it's set up, oh, it's the TARDIS, okay, yep, and then the TARDIS, the reason for all of this becomes the solution. So on that level, I do like it. The problem becomes a solution, and granted, it's a ton of timey-wimey stuff, which Moffat, I think, feels he has to give the fans because of Blink. I think he goes, oh, people like timey-wimey stuff, so I'm going to keep doing that. And uh, he clearly loves to use time travel as more of an integrated device in Doctor Who than just magic box brings you here and now adventure starts. I love the idea of using time travel. I just mm-hmm. think it needs to make sense. The problem is you can't use it too much. Otherwise, it becomes too much of a point of, well, if this guy died or this planet exploded, why don't you go back and just save him? True. Why don't, why don't we yes. just go back and save Adric? Yes, that's... That's important. Yes. So we need rules to establish why you can't just use it to get out of everything. No, I'm not saying you should use it to get out of everything. I'm just, I like when there, I like when there are causes and effects of time travel. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what I meant. Okay. So that's what they're doing here. Well, (laughs) 
I don't want to talk about this one anymore. <laughs> anyway, uh, so generally speaking, I really like part one. I thought it, it starts well and has a lot of cool mystery and uh, and all that sets up things pretty well. Uh, and actually, River does some grandstanding when she says, oh, Mr. Dalek, you know, I'm River Song, look me up. And then it goes, ah, mercy, mercy. <laughs> <laughs> Say it one more time. Mercy. <sighs> Moffat loves grandstanding. Anyway, um, I do I do generally like it. Um, I rated an eight. I'm giving it a six. Fair enough. And to finish off this wonderful discussion, we get to the 2010 Christmas special, A Christmas Carol. And I really liked this one. I think I liked this better than any episode of the season. Mm. And I think my f- I think I liked it most when so it's a Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. and we got a crotchety old man, and we need to t- make him good. Yep. And speaking of time travel, mm-hmm. he goes. I like when he goes back and he's watching the film. the The, the old man's watching the film mm-hmm. of himself as a kid, mm-hmm. and the doctor ta- brings himself directly from in front of the old man into the film. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an awesome visual. Yeah, and I think it's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. And it, it does the whole. I'm remembering things the way they used to be, but the way that they are now as well, Mm -hmm. which is a fascinating idea. Listen, if time travel was real, how would that stuff work? Yeah, sure. Apparently, uh, Moffat recycled this from a short story he wrote in a Decalogue. Um, I never read it, but I've read that he did that. Makes sense. (laughs) Uh, But it's a a sound idea. I, uh, I do think the flying fish is a little... Eh. Yeah, I don't care for the flying fish. Um, especially when we have the flying shark, which seems very intimidating at first. Suddenly it becomes like a friendly shark because it responds to the singing and... Uh, it's Christmas. Christmas, and they use it like reindeer and they can fly around in a sleigh. Yeah, I, I don't like that. Yeah, that's 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 the one really silly part. Um, but I really like the idea that, uh, you know, he starts going every Christmas Eve to uh, to see the, the really pretty... Blonde girl, obviously uh, suffering from the Hollywood eyes. I'm dying very slowly, but remain very healthy and beautiful as I die. Well, she's frozen. Yeah, but she's got like six days left to live. That's what countdown. Or seven days, whatever it is. Well, we don't know exactly what it is that's killing her, right? Well, no, but I mean, if she's dying and she's down to her final days, I don't think she'd be looking that healthy. But we don't know what is killing her. Okay, so I guess we'll just assume there's a microscopic bomb that's going to go off in her head and she can't get it out. Well, think of this. How do we know? Exa- I mean, how do we know exactly how many days she has to live? It said so on the counter. She makes yes, but how would how? <laughs> yes, yes. How does the counter know how many days I'm she sure has she to live? Told them as soon as they. But put how her does in there. she know? Because she's got whatever the hell it is, and she knows. The doctors are very good on this planet. I don't know, Kevin. you got to just go with this one. I'm just telling you. I'm, but I, Yeah, but I'm saying that uh, I'm fine not knowing what the disease is. I'm just thinking it's just very convenient. It's like Mission Impossible 2, where the girl that Tom Cruise is into, she gets the, uh, what is it, the, the nasty virus that's going to kill her, and at the end she's ready to throw herself off a cliff rather than succumb to the virus, but she still looked hot as ever. She's still like this beautiful girl, not showing any of the signs of the symptoms that other people who died from the virus in the movie did. I fell asleep during Mission Impossible 2. So take it as red. In the theater. Yes. Because it was b b b boring. Right. 
So I'm just saying, Mission think, impossible to stay awake during is what I call it. <laughs> so I'm just saying, same syndrome. But she's very pretty, so whatever. Um, the, the girl in um, Christmas Carol I'm talking about again. Uh, and it was a good reason to have a singer, I guess, because she can sing and placate the fish. I'm also not a big fan of the singing. But I'll take this over Rings of Akaton. Oh, those rings. Yeah. So well, anyway, happens. I, I, so not only does the old man, what's his name? Uh, Kazrin. Kazrin. Not only does Kazrin uh, emotionally turn himself into a new man, he's like, holy cow, I love Christmas and I love this girl and mm-hmm. give me the biggest goose yeah. and bring him to dinner. Sure. Uh, apparently he's changed so much that the iso- isotropic? Isomorphic. Isis. I like mine better, but no, yours is right. The isomorphic controls uh, don't even recognize them. Where's the old crotchety guy? Says says the button that says deactivate the storm that yeah. will save Amy and Rory. And how does that change? Um, yeah, does, that's not that really work? explained well. It's just, oh, it was never programmed for the man you are now. Uh, but then yeah. how do they do it? How do they save it? Um, what they have to do is they, they break out, because he's kept... The dying girl in her chamber all that time because she had one day left to live, and that's why he was all depressed and still became kind of cranky. And then when they bust her out, they use her singing to affect the fish to clear a path for the ship to land. I was ready to give this a nine. <laughs> hey, remember this? And that's they had to patch through the uh, the PA system to, to go through. That's why they, she's talking to the doctor's weird microphone thing at the end. Yeah. I know, it's not the part I tend to remember much either, but luckily I've seen it recently. So, uh, I think we'd be remiss to point out that Amy and Rory are on their honeymoon on a spaceship that is straight up, they're doing their best Star Trek 2009 impression, complete uh, with lens flares. Yeah, and a, and a white eye bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was fun. That was, that was fun. And uh, Amy is in her kissogram outfit again, and Rory's dressed as a Roman leading us to believe Mr. Moffat is making more sexual innuendo jokes than Doctor Who. Thank you, Mr. Moffat. Um, but we, uh, I do like, I, I like the parallel to the Christmas Carol. Uh, I love the twist that the ghost of future, uh, ghost of Christmas future was Kazran himself as a kid, yes. seeing himself as an older man. That was brilliant. Oh, that was like great. That. Uh, Amy as a hologram shows her all of the people singing on the ship, but they appear to almost be the people from the, the frozen chambers. Um, yeah, when they're when they're fishing for the shark, that was a little meh, and I admit, yeah, the the, the solution's been hokey. I'll tell you what bothers me the most though. This girl is dying and she ends up being the true love of Kazrin and she changed him and all that, and that's great. And she he got all those Christmases with her. And I love the idea that every Christmas he's going through and he's changing him and they get these great it, it's nice, it works, even though technically speaking, they're going off and having all these Christmas Eves and having parties and everything while technically that ship is crashing. And I know it's all relative time travel with Moffat, but I'm just saying it does feel weird that we're having all these long, <clears throat> fun Christmas stuff while technically, concurrently, we have a ship crashing. That, in theory, probably should have crashed by now. But never mind. Um, I uh, I like all that. I even liked a little nod to him wearing a, a Tom Baker scarf at one point. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about the Marilyn Monroe wedding thing. I thought that was kind of a cheap joke. Um, but whatever. It's kind of an I like how Matt Smith committed to it. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. He does. He definitely commits to it. Um, but, you know, they get sad and everything. So Marilyn, get your coat. <laughs> like he just he resigns himself to it. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> boy. Um, but 
so she's dying. We don't really know what, and I'm expecting because it's a Christmas special, everything will be solved in the end. But actually, after they save the ship, and Kazran goes off to a sleigh ride that it ends on with with him and uh, the woman, they don't solve her problem. She's still gonna die. And it makes me kind of go like, uh, this is a Christmas special. Why is she still going to die? And how come we're not talking about it? How come he doesn't save her? Well, sometimes people die. Bob. So basically we're saying Moffat, who normally never can really kill anybody for good, is going to kill this chick, but off camera after the episode, after the happy ending. It does appear so. Wow, that's kind of a dick move. I mean, we've been bitching about him... Bringing people back to but life. But he has a pretty good one here, and he could just... I don't know. I, You know, I... Well, I guess it's better than, oh, Kazran's love made her better. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll t- I guess I'll deal with that. No, no, Matt Smith uh, snaps his fingers, brings out a little regeneration energy. Oh, God. He's going to pass that along oh, to her. Oh, man. Oh, man. You're right. You're right. If he's going to do that for River, he could have done that for this girl. Wow. Or for Davros. Anyway, that was uh, so that that's one niggle I have is is that part of the ending and yeah the the fish and flying sharks are a little silly, um, but otherwise it's quite enjoyable. Look for the Christmas specials and they're usually just forgettable fluff, in my opinion. Or they're just yeah. I mean I didn't care for Voyage of the Damned. I think this end of time is awful. Time of the Doctor is awful. Um, Widow in the Wardrobe is just blah to me. Um, Snowman's okay. I like Snowman and I kind of like Christmas Invasion. But out of out of like those three, I do kind of put this one kind of toward the top because it. It uses time travel kind of well, and it's a good telling of the Christmas uh, Carol story. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's a perfectly. I mean, look, a lot of people complain about the Christmas specials. This is one of the few I actually like. Although, don't get Brad and Athena in on this; they'll they'll be giving it uh, a very harsh critique, right? So you're going with? I'm going with an eight. I'm gonna give it an eight. Well, like I mentioned, I hated the singing, and I what else did I hate? I hated the fish. Uh, yeah, and you hated the ending. Well, yeah, I hated that ending. Yeah. But I'm still giving it a nine because I liked everything else so much. Mm-hmm. All right. That's fair. That's fair. So, yeah, uh, just despite all of this. Uh, so, basically, I think we're saying it, it started strong, kind of milled out there, had a couple of dips, and then kind of ended strong, more or less. Yeah, yeah, especially with that Christmas special. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it was a good start for Matt Smith. I actually do, whenever I think of Matt Smith, I tend to think of him as he is in this season with the more kind of scruffy schoolboy look than the more refined look he gets later. He does. They do make him look more adult in the next season, I think. Yeah, just literally by combing his hair better and shortening it in the back. Yeah. Yeah, and giving him, um, making his, well, it's the same basic outfit by making it look a little smarter. That makes any sense, yeah. But um, and especially the later outfit with the, the purple coat is pretty cool. So probably the next one of these that we'll do is after season nine is done, huh? Uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll review series nine, and if we keep doing them, maybe we'll dip back into the tenant era. Who knows? We'll see. I guess if we do it, do we just do the specials, or do we do specials and season four? Because the specials are only five. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. You don't want to think. You're like that means I have to watch End of Time again. Ooh. <laughs> and Planet of the Dead. Man, you know, I don't even hate Planet of the Dead. I just find it so boring. <laughs> Despite uh, our friend Chad, who loves Michelle Ryan. Chad is willing to cut off his arms and do whatever it takes. 
for Michelle Ryan to say, well, you're Chad. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I do not have the same. Listen, she's, she's, she's all right. She's a fine looking girl, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd lose my, my head over her. Um, yeah, but funny, funny to see what people find in these episodes. Oh boy. But yeah, no, no, no. I, I would say overall, I feel like this is Moffat's uh, strongest season. I think he had the most time to put into it. He did start writing it in uh, January That's of That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. And he's been rushed and crushed uh, ever since then with production schedules, Sherlock and Tintin. And now it seems that even if he doesn't have enough time, he will write stuff anyway <laughs> <laughs> and have it recorded. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, well, we'll see what the future holds. Yeah. Um, you never know. But uh, anyway, no. Uh, so yeah, I generally, I generally like the season overall, to, despite some of the lower scores. And uh, I, 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 look, even when I had niggles with the plot, I, I generally was liking the look of it. I like the tone of it. Um, and uh, I was generally enjoying Matt Smith, which was a real shock. Because remember when they announced Matt Smith, we had major reservations i know uh you did you what were you I very much i was when i first saw matt smith get cast i was like who is this kid mm-hmm. but then i saw him in costume and i was like yes perfect mm-hmm. you you have him young you have him dress old mm-hmm. and matt smith i think does a very fine job as the doctor mm-hmm. in general beginning to end i think mm-hmm. he's very good mm-hmm. yep yep well it's i always remember uh, my friend simon's reaction to him when they cast him and uh they, and that uh, Doctor Who confidential they showed, and all of a sudden there he was. And Well, they do the worst thing where he turns his head. Yeah. And he had the still the, had that weird hair. and The sweepy hair, yeah. And he, he looked like a friggin' goof. Yeah, and I remember Simon just went, uh... I had the same pretty much <laughs> feeling. But it was more, I think it was more dread. Yeah. I didn't go into the high pitch, but I was just like, ugh. Yeah, <laughs> it was hilarious to see Simon's reaction, and he was he was literally recoiling in the couch, like, how do I get out of here? Yeah. Um, but he pulled it off in the end. He did, he did. Um, yeah, because uh, let's face it, we didn't expect him to be that, that young, and what did you say? <laughs> You're going to twilight my Doctor Who. That's right, yes. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't, he did fine. Um, and, and Amy also got much better as the, the seasons went on, and they improved Rory, so, yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I do like the season. As, as, as much as we have our issues with overthinking things, um, it's as you say with Doctor Who now with the tea in Magician's Apprentice. Like, how do I have the tea? Don't ask questions. I'm the doctor. I'm the doctor. Accept it. No, that's it. I'm the doctor. I don't. I don't. I don't. That's, I think that's the way Moffat likes to look at his his stories. Like, yeah, well, it does make sense. I'm the doctor. Accept it. I'm Stephen Moffat. Accept it. I have. A, I have a serious problem with that. <laughs> Well, if we ever get back to talking classic Who, maybe we'll uh, we'll, we'll get into what we think really works with, with Doctor Who and our and our true favorites. In the meantime, um, this has always been enlightening and fun. Uh, thank you again for having me. Uh, for anybody who does not know, I uh, I have another podcast with my friend Ralph Oppel. It's called All Right. Po- Let's do a podcast. If you go to allrightpodcast.com, you can find us on iTunes, our Facebook page, our Twitter. Uh, I talk about Doctor Who a lot and pro wrestling, and Ralph talks about Bond and spies and comics. It's a fun podcast. Uh, Sometimes we'll have this guy on. Sometimes. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're down to your last two James Bond movies. That's exciting. That's right. And we've got, you know, the big one coming up next month. Nice, nice. All right. Well, with that in mind, uh, we'll be back next week with more proper shop talk here on Costume Station Zero.
It's always been enlightening and fun. Uh, thank you again for having me. Uh, for anybody who does not know, I uh, I have another podcast with my friend Ralph Oppel. It's called All Right po- Let's Do a Podcast. If you go to allrightpodcast.com, you can find us on iTunes, our Facebook page, our Twitter. Uh, I talk about Doctor Who a lot and pro wrestling, and Ralph talks about Bond and spies and comics. It's a fun podcast. Uh, sometimes we'll have this guy on. Sometimes. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're down to your last two James Bond movies. That's exciting. That's right. And we've got, you know, the big one coming up next month. Nice, nice. All right. Well, with that in mind, uh, we'll be back next week with more proper shop talk here on Costume Station Zero.